Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. It's Hollywood, lights, camera, amphetamines, a place where creative people exhaust themselves to fill the pockets of scoundrels at the detriment to their own life and happiness. As they say, if you dream, dream big. And this is Adjust Your Tracking. We're a podcast where we're on an adventure to watch a century of cinema, decade by decade, year by year. And I am one half of your hosts, Liam Delaney. And with me is... Oliver Jones. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yourself? Yeah, I'm all right, Ty. Not too bad. Can't complain. I'm a bit, bit tired. It's past my bedtime now. This is, this is the latest we've ever recorded, I think. This is the latest we've ever recorded. And there's a reason for that as well, isn't there? It's because of our guest... That's with us today. Was that my cue? I think so. Yeah, that's that's him over there. At this point, needs no introduction. No, I never do really. This is like I don't know your eighth time. Yeah, explain why we're having to record at a ridiculous hour. Oh, um, I don't know why. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Don't I don't remember. You teach? No? Yes? Well, no. sure, but there's other days in the week that I could have done, and you were like, you were like no. You're giving thanks all day He's tomorrow. Giving so. thanks tomorrow, so we decided not yes, to do it Yes, right. Okay, yeah. So Thanksgiving for me tomorrow. But and do I, you actually give thanks, or do you just <coughs> consume in the food? Do you like Ollie, oh. Ollie, have you ever heard me say thanks about anything? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> <laughs> come on now. <laughs> not, not in your nature. No, it's, it's, uh, it's against my very soul. Uh, and being no, I uh, I like the food, uh, and so I tend to do the food, even though I don't make too big, don't do too much. Like I don't take the day off work or anything like that. Um, and we're not would you if party. you were, would you have if you're back in the states though? Do you reckon? <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, everybody takes it off. Um, I'd like what's, to. That would be nice. <laughs> what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? That's uh, so No, it's a classic question. It's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I have. A straight answer to that, to be totally honest. I like that. Well, you know what? No, I actually do. My favorite category is the stuffing. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of stuffing. I don't have a, a favorite necessarily, um, but I, I always like the stuffing. I guess the one that I usually make that I actually forgot that I should do um, is one that uh, one of my sister's friends made at one Thanksgiving, maybe seven or eight years ago, and I've been making it ever since, which was a stuffing that is made with brie and spinach and bread. Oh, that sounds good. It's that so good. Really good. Yeah. With, you know, with like ro- loads of like, what's the spices in there? I can't remember, like rosemary and thyme and stuff like that, but it's like a pound sure. of brie. <laughs> I love brie. That sounds yeah, great. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the brie, especially if it's like melted. Like, no, nah, I can't, you know. No, oh, get out. You're not yeah, invited you're, to Thanksgiving anymore. No, yeah, you're not at my Thanksgiving anymore. <laughs> so I'm, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make that 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 stuffing is really good. Uh, I'm gonna make a sweet potato casserole. Oh, uh, those casserole. That's the one with the marshmallow on top, or without marshmallows. Well, I don't do it with, but some people do. Yeah. Okay, because that's one of the weirdest things I've ever been served. When that one landed in front of me, I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> marshmallow on savory food. It's well, very it's sweet weird. potato, so it's not savory as such. It is okay. sweet, but it's just very odd. It's a, it's a food that is definitely like doesn't know if it's a dessert or a yeah. side dish. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't quite know what it's doing. <laughs> it sounds like that. You know the scene in Friends when like Rachel makes that like trifle 
She makes a British with trifle meat. with the meat because <laughs> the pages stick together. It sounds like that. It is. It is a little bit, but it's good. I, I can't explain it. It is good. It is. It is good. <clears throat> I got a good it's recipe just... for that too, so I'm going to make that. Uh, well, I like green beans. The green bean casseroles. They're good. Green bean casserole is pretty good. I actually, I did, I did that. Not even at Thanksgiving. I don't remember. Why. I think we had too many green beans in the house, and I thought, "Fuck it, I'm yeah, a, yeah." Because yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, um, I don't think the the wife and daughter have ever had that. So oh, I really? tried. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not something that people make here really too much. I know yeah. nothing about what you guys are talking about, and <laughs> I'd say ninety percent of my family are American as well. So wow. <laughs> Um, oh, I love Thanksgiving food. It's great. Yeah, I think it's pretty great. So I, I think it's it's one of our better holidays for sure. Yeah, I agree. If, I, I yeah. really enjoy celebrating it. I always have. Because <clears throat> the thing when I was celebrating it, it's it's basically the same as Christmas without the religious obligations, and wow. and without and without the gift obligations. Yeah, that's what I, it was. Just like let's have a big party and stuff ourselves silly. Like, right. It just takes all of the really stress. Cool. Out. Like, well, yeah. not all, but it takes a lot of the stress out. <laughs> Yeah, and I love cooking as well. So I liked the party that it was just like I can spend all day helping in the kitchen and cooking and then eating and then drinking and stuff like that. That's like a lot of fun for me. So I just really enjoy Same, it. same. So anyway, that's my Thursday. So we couldn't do Thursday. But and I need then, to ask uh, what pie as well. What's the best pie? Pie. I don't know pies. I'm, not, I'm, oh, okay. I'm, from the, I'm from New Jersey, not the South or anything. So ah, I see. Is it people from the South and people from the Midwest are super into pie? Um, there's always here the like pecan or pumpkin or cherry or apple. There's always seems to be big arguments about what the yeah, I don't, pie is. I don't really know. I'm not an expert. I'm not a pie expert, I guess. <laughs> I'm a big fan of a cherry pie myself. I do like a cherry pie. And I like uh, pumpkin pie is nice. I, do I like pumpkin pie. I, do, I, like, I guess pumpkin pie is going to have to be my answer, actually. Yeah. Which has to come out of a tin. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise, it's, it. we, we've tried to we've tried to do pumpkin pie with real pumpkin, and it really does. It's very difficult. It's not, uh, yeah. Pumpkins are gross. It's not the same thing. Uh, and yeah, otherwise today uh, I I was teaching uh, children how to make movies, uh, and then that took that was late, and so now we're really late. It's almost eleven o'clock. We're all falling asleep. We're all dying. Children. <clears throat> you know, I mean, teenage, twenty-year-olds, whatever they are. They all look. They all look like children to me. Everyone under twenty five looks like a baby. <laughs> <clears throat> so let's see if we can power through this. I'm sure we'll be fine. It's good stuff <clears throat> oh, to talk me. about. And anyway, Brandon Khan. I didn't see your name. Welcome That's me. I'm Brandon Khan. I'm here on uh, adjust your tr- your your tracks. Adjust your tracks. Adjust, adjusting them tracks again for and, the uh, for the however many times. So apart from teaching, you've been watching anything recently? I did. Well, I watched I watched this with uh, the with the ladies, which was fun. Did a whole family movie thing. Cool uh, for this movie, which was cool. And then uh, uh, I watched something really good the other day. What was it? Oh, Widows, the Steve McQueen movie um, oh, from a few years ago. Man, oh, it is. I love that film. So good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, that movie I, was so slept on. It really was. I didn't. I don't. I don't understand why it was so slept on. No, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why I skipped it because I love his other films. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. And it just and it passed me by, and I never got around to it. I don't think it was available to rent or or str- I don't remember. Um, um, it made seventy six million at the box office, which I mean, for a film of that kind, it's not bad. Like 
It's not bad. It was just, I mean, Should like, be. even awards way. It was just, yeah. like, it just disappeared, like, and, the, like, Viola Davis and, and Elizabeth Shabeki are so amazing. great in that film. They're right? amazing. The whole cast is incredible. Yeah, the whole cast are incredible, yeah. I mean, the cinematography like was amazing, and just the, it was, the whole thing was just fantastic all around. I absolutely love that. It was the best, best thing I've seen in, in a while. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, my God, I forget that existed, actually. So, so it just slips out of everyone's minds, and I hope yeah. it, I, I hope it doesn't slip out of mine. He's, no, got a, no. he's, he's got a series of short films that are on every Sunday at the moment. They're like, I think they're like, yeah. No, they're, they're feature films. They're not shorts. The, the reason I went up to catch up with Widows because he has all this new stuff coming out. So that's what you're calling small acts, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a series. It's like a limited series where each one is feature length. Um, yeah, an anthology series of five stories looking at the lives of a group of friends and their families in London's West Indian community from the late 60s to the early 80s by Steve McQueen. I didn't um, know this existed. Yeah, I can't wait. It just started coming out. I really can't yeah, wait. I Honestly, I mean, I love Hunger. I love 12 Years a Slave. And after seeing Widows last night, I'm like, this guy is just one of the best yeah, working Shane today. As well. He's really he's, incredible. He's wonderful, yeah. He is yeah. wonderful. Has he directed all of them or is he just like... Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I think he has looking at it. I can't believe I didn't know about this at all. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, a lot of people have seen the first two, which are called Mangrove and Lover's Rock, and apparently they're they're quite good. No surprise. Um, I don't think the other ones have come out yet. Yeah, the ones anyway. are Red, White, and Blue, Alex Wheatle, Education. Yeah. Yeah, he has directed them all, yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, it's, it's insane. I don't even understand how he's done it. They look good as well. I was watching a bit of one the other day, but I th I thought they were like hour long ones. I didn't think they were like full on feature length. No, can't stop, won't stop. Steve McQueen, he's just he's just on it. He's going mental. He's gone. He's going for it. <laughs> yeah. How's he? How's he made this many film? They're on Amazon Prime as well, apparently. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't understand how he's done it. I was going to say like the argument that he's like the best British filmmaker working at the moment. Maybe. I mean, he's he is well up there. It's um, kind of cool, really. Who else would I put? I don't know who I'd put up there with him right now. Well, it's always Nolan, but um, I don't is know. He, is, is he even British? Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Does he even count? Does he really count? It doesn't feel like he counts. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't. He doesn't, feel he like doesn't he make. He doesn't but, really make British films. No, well, that's why. One. Yeah. <laughs> Has he ever made a film set in Britain? No. Yeah, the following. Following wasn't it. Yeah, oh, following, following same Britain, was, okay, yeah, that's yeah. the only one. And then he disappeared. Went off to be American. To yeah. Abandon us. The worst. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> not giving thanks to him. Nope, I'm not giving thanks to the Nolans. One day. And where's the prestige set? New York. Oh, that, mm, right? Mm, yes, I'm going to guess New York. Because Tesla's there? Yeah. And, the um, Tesla bits in America, for sure. Maybe it is London. I'm not sure. You might be right. You guys are the Nolan fans. Or Ollie is. I've seen it once. <laughs> Have you? I've seen that. I've seen The Prestige a lot. It's probably one of my favorite films. It's my favorite Nolan film, that's for sure. That's what I mean. Yeah, favorite Nolan, yeah. Oh, but I've only seen it the two times. I can't remember the location. Yeah, because you go to like... Uh... <laughs> I don't are know. Are you set. okay, Liam? Yes, I just don't know when it's set. I was trying to quickly read to know when it's set, but it's just... Really it just, would be it, in it the 18, open up. like the 1880s, right? In 1890s London. No, there we go. go. Set in London. Okay. There we go. Yeah. 
okay. Can't moan about Christopher Nolan anymore. What have you? Anymore. What have? What have been your good watches recently? Then Ollie, anything? Oh, uh, so I watched the Social Dilemma, the documentary the other day. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, it didn't tell me anything I didn't really already know. To be honest, <laughs> and it. The, the presentation bugged me. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it. but I haven't seen it, no. I haven't seen it, no. But, um, I mean, you know you know what it is? No. Yes, I have heard of it, yeah. You don't, you've not heard of it, Liam? No, I don't think I have, no. So it's a Netflix documentary. It's just all about, you know, what social media is up to behind the scenes, basically, you know, like gathering your data and basically how... Oh, okay, okay, like, yeah, sure. We as humans are the products, basically. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, but... Like it's framed, it's got like all talking heads and stuff and interviews, but then it's also got like a fictional family. So it's got like a little fictional narrative that's going throughout with a family that are like how they experience social media and stuff. And I just didn't like it. But anyway, so yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that film. Um, <laughs> I watched uh, Birds of Prey, which. Oh, cool. I think that's I, enjoyable enough. I thought it was fun. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. it's not going to, it's, you know, it's not earth shattering anything, but it, it passed an hour and a half. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I think she's quite enjoyable as Harley Quinn, uh, Margot yeah. Robbie. I enjoyed uh, them all. Hate, and I think it looked, in ter- like compared to like Suicide Squad and all that rubbish, it looked, it felt like a film. It looked like a film. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. It felt uh, like an identity, basically, and that's that was fun. But um, I don't think it, it shouldn't have been called Birds of Prey because like. Like the other characters are not in it as much, I don't think. And I'm not a big. I, li- I like Rosie Perez, but I think she was a bit awkward as Montoya. I think didn't they? Didn't they change the name like multiple times? Yeah, yeah. In the cinema, they changed it to Harley, just Harley Quinn, didn't they? And then colon. I think Birds Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey. I think they changed it. To- <laughs> yeah, and then it yeah. reverted back. Um, I watched Peanut Butter Falcon. Okay. I Which I know Brandon that. watched, I think, or started to. I, I started to, and and uh, and uh, I don't, I don't think I'm going to get past the 30 minutes I got into it. I really liked it. I thought it was pretty good, to be honest. Um, it, it felt, it felt to me. I don't know. Maybe I was in a bad mood or something, but it felt like a like a late 80s TV movie, like no. just really flat and boring and whatever. No, else. I like, I like Shia, I like Shia LaBeouf's beard. No, I mean it, it focuses on like a a, a a young twenty somethings with Down syndrome, and he wants to be a he's got like aspirations to become a wrestler, and um, he has to live in an old person's home because he's got no family, and so it's where the state have put him, and he befriends Shia LaBeouf, who's kind of like a um, a fisherman kind of, but he's in a bit of trouble, he's on the run, and um, the the kid with Down syndrome like bumps into Shia LaBeouf and they kind of form like this friendship and I really liked it I thought it was really nice and um yeah I I, I recommend it Did you're not alone I, I've heard I heard good things about it from other yeah, people I've heard good things too and uh, I really I really want to see his other film the one he wrote which I think is kind of like based on his life and it's called Honey Boy yeah Honey, yeah, Honey yeah. Boy I really want to see I, I, I've watched um, some scenes from that that looked amazing I think it's on I think it's on Netflix so uh, Honey is, Boy is it yeah it's on streaming so. somewhere if it's Definitely. on Netflix, I'm going to watch that super. I'm going to watch that soon. But like, yeah, he's he's pretty insane, is Shia LaBeouf. Like, I know for his the latest film with the guy, oh, what's his name? He did Fury and um, End of Watch. Is, uh, I, I don't remember. He did Suicide Squad. That director, anyway, he did a film for oh, him. A and he's what his name is. Yeah. And he's completely tattooed his chest with all gang stuff, <laughs> like full on, and it's like, wow. 
Yeah, he's okay. he's mental. When when he showed up in Peter Butter Falcon, he was on a on like a shrimp boat in the in the bayous of North Carolina, trying to get cra- crabs and stuff. And the camera was like behind him, and he looks really greasy and scrubby and gross, and his you know t shirts all stained and fallen off of him. And uh, I was like, oh man, this uh, I couldn't see who it was at first. And I went, oh, this like rich actor is really like you know, pretending to be this poor person. It's so pathetic. And then it cut to it's being Shia LaBeouf. And I went, oh, no, he probably did this for like four months. For real. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, he, I think he's a good actor. And I, I mean, I guess that's his process. And I'm sure one day he'll kind of kind of get out of that. Or he'll just become Mickey Rourke, one of the two. <laughs> one of the two. He is really good. It's just, yeah. it is sort of a joke at this point. How, like, he takes how? it s- seriously. Like, yeah, I always... That- there can be two. There can be like a too intensive mode. There can be a too like you've you've gone a bit too far on this, and right. maybe he does. Like I remember when he was a kid and he was in like uh, Holes and stuff like that. And Holes was a pretty good kids' film, actually. Yeah, Holes is fun. Yeah, I remember Don't when he was in Indiana Jones. Holes is he's basically it's kind of like not a prison or whatever, but basically if you you're caught doing something bad they kind of send you away to kind of like a kid prison camp and all you all you do is dig holes and that's kind of do you guys know how he like his first thing was a hbo series called project Greenlight? that ever happened here well no. i know he was in even stevens which was like the kids show was project, oh, maybe project Greenlight was the ben affleck matt damon show that's exactly right yeah and one of the seasons of that the person the film they made shia labeouf was in it as like a child Okay. It wasn't maybe he wasn't that young. Maybe he'd done other stuff, but it was my first introduction to him. You should watch the last series of Project Greenlight. I think it was about two, three years ago, and um, it. I think the previous series, it was kind of like it followed a group of filmmakers throughout, and then one winner got got to make their film by the end of it. Is that right? I only remember it. I remember it mostly being about the person making their first film. That's what the last series is about, and it's hilarious. It's so funny. Like, this one guy, it's his first feature film, and he's demanding that he shoots on film. And it's, like, half of the budget of the entire film just to shoot on film. I'm pretty sure sure I've seen that, because I watched a lot of those. I found they were all really funny as well. But Shia LaBeouf was in one of them. Uh, What was the film called? It was something like Ohio, or... It was something about being Ohio. Apparently, he was in in season two, apparently, Shia LaBeouf was. That was it. Looking up, yeah. But it was also... It was also like a documentary. So you saw him as a child actor or like his mother was there and he was really emotional, really intense, even as like a 12 or 13 year old. And he was very good. And I remember thinking like, that, that's a serious guy. Like, serious kid, you knew yeah. that you were going to see him more for sure. It's the Battle of Shaker Heights. It's called. That's it. That's it. And Shaker yeah. Heights is in Ohio, isn't it? That's why I'm thinking about that. And it, yeah, the film starred like Shia LaBeouf, uh, Eldon Henson, uh, Amy Smart, and then um, William Sadler. <laughs> there you go. That was the film. Death himself. Have you watched Death anything? Himself. I watched. Actually, I've watched quite a bit. Um, I can bash through it really quickly, so I'm not going on forever. I've got an apology to make to Castaway because like, when I first saw that in 2002, <laughs> I was bored out of my mind, and we watched it the other day, and it's amazing. And I don't you're know why a, it bored me so you're much. It was a Mecca's fanboy now. That's why. I'd, it was just that kind of thing. Castaway, I was like, if they made that today, like, and it would just feel such fre- breath of fresh air rather than this kind of IP gen, like, continuous stuff that we do. And it just felt so different to me watching it now than watching it back in 2002 or something. So that's one. I watched Strange on the Train. And oh, yeah. It's good. It's good, but definitely nowhere near my favorite Hitchcock. Like, I can 
I'm not like I wasn't overwhelmed by it, and I just think it lacked that kind of screen chemistry that I think a lot of Hitchcock's had. Even though the I, the I other... like Strangers on the Train, it's not top tier Hitch, but I like it a lot. Mm. Yeah, it's still great. And I watched uh, Paths of Glory. Uh, oh, wow, which is awesome. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely awesome. Kirk Douglas is amazing in it. You know what? That is, that is, I think, one of only two Kubrick's I haven't seen. I would absolutely recommend it. I don't really like war yeah. films, but it's, I, I actually really liked it. And one yeah. thing I didn't, one thing that made me laugh is I never realized how much uh, Black Adder is based on like Paths of Glory. Really? Like all the kind of, all the stuff that kind of in the, um, in the uh, mansions and with the upper, the upper generals and stuff like that is all like, what Paths of Glory looks like. And huh. Clearly, when they were making it, they were ta- they were using Paths of Glory as like a, a joke, you know, or something. And um, I also then watched. I watched in part of my trying to watch Clint Eastwood films. I watched his 2010 film Hereafter, which I know is a film that doesn't exist, and no one has seen this film. <laughs> and it is fucking bonkers. <laughs> like it's absolutely fucking bonkers. Right. It's like it's like a Clint Eastwood fucking art film. Like, like it, nothing really happens in it. It's all this slow, like, wow. kind of these different stories kind of bouncing around and non, not connecting until the last act. But it's a story that includes oh, it's, no. pe- it's people dying and it's about, like, it's kind of like Clint Eastwood, like, thinking about the afterlife and what it's like to be to die and stuff. And it tells, like, three different okay. stories. and. It opens with the story of a of a French lady getting caught in the um, 2004 Indian Ocean um, tsunami. <laughs> oh. okay. It's like, and it comes out of nowhere. Like it's just this French lady shopping, and then the fucking tsunami hits. Like, and I was like, "What is this film?" <laughs> like, wow. And then, and then it focuses on two twins from London, who their mom's like a heroin addict, and uh, and then then one of them dies and then later in the film the other twin is saved from the 2005 London bombings by his ghost <laughs> twin what? <laughs> like, and I was like what is what is going on with this film and the third story is uh, Matt Damon is a psychic like a real psychic not a fake psychic sure, and he just wants to have a nice life and have a cooking like a go cooking like lessons but everyone keeps trying to drag him back into being a psychic including Jay Moore and and, and I can I can relate to that. That's what Bryce my life Dallas is like. Howard. It's exactly it's, what my life this, is like. This seems more like the plot of um, what's the um, Christopher Walken Stephen King film? Oh, um, Dead Zone. Yeah, Dead Zone. Love Dead Zone. It's, <laughs> it's it's just nothing happens in it. Like it's really like that is the whole film. And then at the end of the film, they all end up in a book show in London, and they kind of their paths intersect. And there's a bit of kind of tying up about the fact that about like the afterlife or something like there's a little bit of tying about the afterlife and then it kind of just finishes and i'm just sitting there going i don't quite know like yeah okay clint you made that (laughs) okay yeah one of your hundred films you make like it's uh he does really he does shit him out doesn't he he absolutely shits him out like (laughs) he's 90 and he's still making films yeah they've just announced his next film haven't they it's got a really weird title yes macho or something like that but I, I don't know. I've got a weird thing about watching Clean Eastwood films. I find it kind of fascinating, so I'm quite glad I caught up with that one. Like, Interesting. And the, do you know the story about him on set as well when he directs? That I think no. uh, Tom Hanks doesn't was he, telling it. Doesn't he record just the like the practice and he's like done? <laughs> well, yeah, he does. He does one take. He doesn't give a shit. Like he's just like yeah, finished. He doesn't like actors and he doesn't. But like he basically kind of 
everything sets up and everything starts rolling and he just goes go ahead <laughs> and, and then like when night finishes and all like you finish the scene and everyone's kind of like you know awkwardly pausing like clint will just out of nowhere go yeah that's enough like <laughs> that, that's his whole like control of like the set Okay. And, appar- and apparently it's not him being like a passive aggressive way to make films apparently it's because he used to shoot a lot with horses and you're not and you can't shout around horses so it's that way he got used to making films interesting that's, that's the explanation i don't know i think it's just because clint is a bit of an odd man i'm gonna i'm gonna believe the horse thing yeah i think the horse thing makes sense anyway <laughs> it's much better I, on your zemeckis fanboying i actually watched contact with the with the wife and daughter oh, i um, love contact yeah, a week ago. I I really like that film a lot. It's uh, yeah. it came it came out when I was a teenager and kind of hits right hits right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I, at the time when it came out, everybody hated that you didn't see the aliens, but I, I loved I loved the ending in particular. Um, and still do. I, I like uh, him, even the, what's his name? Jake Boosie. He always like he he he's goes very he's, think. so <laughs> he, good he's, in that film. He's very like, over the top. He's so good, like yeah. with the hair and the teeth, and he, he and looks he ridiculous. Like, yeah, but like he has no lines in that film, really. He's just kind of yelling off screen, and now and again yeah. you see him. And then when he's the bomber in like the kind of contact station, you only see just, him once before he's the bomber. Yeah, it's once or twice, isn't it? Just like it's, yeah, it's literally and, one uh, time. But literally because it's Jake Busey, you didn't immediately recognize him again. <laughs> Like he needed that kind of face to be like that kind of passive, and you meet. Oh my as, god, it's him! It was nice to Rosalie, who's uh, eleven, watched it all the way through, enjoyed cool. it. She was really, uh, 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 really hated the two male figures who were constantly holding her down. Um, <laughs> yes. She was screaming at them. Is that Tom Skerritt, one of the bosses? Is yeah, Tom asshole, Skerritt. Right? She was yeah. like. That's unfair. You're horrible. She's just yes. screaming at the screen. She was very much behind Jodie Foster. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Mar- Matthew McConaughey. I can never say it. Bloody well, Matthew you know what Rosalie did? She was reading the credits and she called him Matthew McNaughty. <laughs> <laughs> which automatically made me like the film even more. When he plays sexy Pope in that film, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly right. <laughs> but like there's some, um, he's such a dick. Like, yeah, and I don't think it played out when I when I watched it when I was younger. How much of just a dick is in that film? Isn't he a priest like, in it? Yeah, yeah, he's kind of like a new age Christian. They're kind of both. They're kind of both. Jody, the Foster character, McNa- uh, uh, Matthew McNaughty characters are. Uh, <laughs> they're both kind of just dicks to each other throughout yeah. the whole film. They're yeah, both. Yeah, they yeah. have a very tortured relationship. So I don't know. I didn't. Th- I didn't think of either of them as horrible, but they were kind of horrible to each other for a lot of it i don't know uh, it's just that kind of way he lampoons her career because he kind of wants to sleep with her it's just like yes. the most like 90s male thing for a film. <laughs> that's, that's true that's that's fair that's fair that's fair <laughs> oh that's but, fair. yeah i love that film i really yeah really it's really great it's 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 underrated i think overall. yeah i think so um although it, it does i don't know it's very 90s so some bits yeah. of it are, are kind of dated the look of it's a little bit dated here and there some of the yeah some of the, some of the story beats are a bit Oh, like Jake Busey's a bit on the nose, that kind of thing. Sure. But sure. Uh, I think it might actually, while I was watching it, I thought this might actually be like Jodie Foster's best performance of her whole career, which is saying a lot. It's saying a uh, lot, yeah. It's saying a lot, and I could be wrong. But like the the amount of like emotional vulnerability she goes for, in particularly in the last like 30 minutes, is, is, is it's sure. really powerful. I was really impressed, like again, 
um, for how big she goes. Yeah. Know. She's great. I love her. It was great. Oh, I love it. Yeah, she's fantastic. I need to watch more of her films, actually. Uh, her directorial films. I've seen. Well, she, I've only seen Little Man Tate, which I think was the first one. I think she directed an episode of Black Mirror. I think. Did she? Oh, did she? And it was really good. And hold on, I'm going to double check this. Uh, you guys move on to. You move on to a different topic, and I'm going to do this. I was going to say we we've, <laughs> we've got a slight connection to um, to Clint Eastwood. We do. So you know where we shot the superhero film in that um, that warehouse. Okay. Which one? Yeah. Uh, which one? <laughs> the, the one with uh, the chairs. The, the office warehouse. The office. Yeah, the one with the chairs. So the guy who owns that, he's in Invictus. He's in the uh, the South uh, African rugby rug- one. Rugby team, yeah. Well, why? Because he's a rugby player, and he 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 got in the film. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, yes, she directed the Archangel episode of Black Mirror. Which okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, it was whichever one it was. It was really good. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's one, uh, isn't it one when you can track someone all the time yes that's it it's Rosemary DeWitt is the mom and it's like they put basically like tracking in the children um, and obviously it goes Black Mirror away etc etc it's a very yeah. good episode yeah because the other film she made is The Beaver and I don't want to watch that because I can't no. be bothered to watch Mel Gibson no. <laughs> like, really. it, looked, it looked stupid as hell too you know the film that we watched last week, the uh, the man in the white suit. Ah, uh-uh. I thought that was kind of like thinking back on it. It's a bit like a, a a tame Black Mirror episode, kind of almost like a yeah, little bit of a kind of Twilight Zoney kind of thing or yeah, like yeah. Outer Limits thing. Yeah, I get you. I get that works. Looking forward to catching up with that. No, yeah, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. Actually, definitely. Um, I don't have any yet. To be honest, speaking of ninety uh, kind of fifties films, what's your kind of opinion of fifties films? Like, like um, Brandon, like what's oh what's, generically? Yeah, like there generically, there like, there are loads of good ones. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's for sure. There's loads and loads of good ones. And is I, it kind um, of a, is it a decade you kind of know quite well, or like have kind of gone out your way to see, or is it just like that's a, a good question? Opinion? Well, let's let's see what Letterbox has to say about that topic. Uh, <laughs> Not really. I, I I I like my film history generally, so I've watched a lot of films from all over mm. the place. Uh, Letterbox says I've done okay. Me, I'd say mediocre. Actually, I need I need to see more fifties movies. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think that was one of the things. I I, I to myself, I always said I always I kind of said to myself that I like fifties films, but I definitely haven't seen a lot of them. Um, my my lowest rated fifties film is. Uh, Quo Vadis, Quo Vadis, and Kansas City Confidential, and a Sam Brackage movie called Desist Film. Uh, I think I know them. Uh, you, well, you don't need to. No. <laughs> I'll move on. <laughs> yeah, and uh, high, highest rated, I have loads of uh, obviously loads of classics going on here. We watched Ben Hur recently as well over Easter. That's a fifties movie. Yes, it is a fifties movie. I was—I thought yes. you said Spartacus then, but yeah, Ben Hur. Yeah. I had—I didn't see. I keep trying to get Rosalie to watch Spartacus. She likes history as well. Keep trying to get her to watch Spartacus with me, but she hasn't. Maybe she will now that she's seen Kirk Douglas. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna, yeah, watch him in Spartacus as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, while you're looking at that, what's your kind of opinion? Nineteen fifty-two films, then, particularly, uh, singing that's the year we're covering today. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, so I've seen this movie uh, in nineteen fifty-two. Uh, let's see. We got "Singing in the Rain" is pretty much the best musical ever made. 
Yeah, it definitely came out in 950. And uh, its shadow kind of looms large on the film we watched today in Uncertain Sense. Absolutely does, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, And the other, Kurosawa's, one of his masterpieces, Ikaru, comes out this year. Okay, okay. Which, which, uh, if you liked Rashomon, I recommend you check out that one quickly. Uh, (laughs) High Noon came out. High Noon Rules. Have you seen High Noon, Ali? Yeah, I've seen High Noon. High Noon's pretty awesome. Uh, Charlie Chaplin's Limelight. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. Limelight is that's a really a fascinating film. film for me. Yeah, like obviously yeah. it's Chaplin's last film that because of um because of his blacklisting in America actually didn't come out in America until like the seventies. I think it came out in seventy yeah. six or something like that. Like, um, I mean, because he was a big communist according to America. Well, but, uh, yeah. Limelight was a really cool film and a really kind of like I don't know, just really odd to see a Chaplin film in that way. Um, I really recommend it. I really like that film. Yeah, I love that film. Yeah, it's great. The Quiet Man came out this year. That's uh, you can watch uh, uh, women getting beaten for fun. That's my memory of that film. Had enough of that already. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, yeah. But this one, they play it like it's light and funny and hilarious. Oh, good. Well it's done. very weird. It's very bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's definitely uh, a film I know the name of, but I had no idea what it was about or anything like that. It's about John Wayne uh, goes back to Ireland um, and he it has to basically marry the girl like down the road for some reason. It's essentially the same plot of that um, trailer that just came out that looks like the worst film ever made with Christopher Walken in it as an Irish person. <laughs> uh, what the hell is that called? I've already forgotten it. Called? Yeah, I've forgotten it. You know what I'm talking about, though? Yes. Yeah, yeah it's, it's basically the same thing, but it's John Wayne. Um, and... That has this amazing immortal line where he he finally goes to like uh, resolve whatever the conflict is and you know get the girl quote unquote I don't remember what led to it and some old lady like from the town is walking next to him and she gives him a stick and he goes for the lady like to beat to beat the lady with a stick God it's pretty incredible oh the Irish yeah have so you got any opinions one. on film in the nineteen fifty two all yeah. Other than singing in the rain and um, high noon, other than that, not really. I don't. Uh, I think the film today is like the third film I've seen from sure. Fifty Two. I haven't. I haven't. To be fair, I have not seen any more than I it's just said. It's a pretty tame year by the looks of things. I don't know. I just. I have no idea. Yeah. I bet. I, mean, some, I bet some of these are pretty killer. I'm sure there's some great ones, but there's not some like there's not heavy hitters that you kind of you know a lot about without even having to see do you know what I mean sure yeah for sure I mean apart from Singing in the Rain but like the weird thing about Singing in the Rain is that like it was complete just nothing when it came out that picked up a life much later yeah because we were looking at the the top grossing films it's not even on there is it it no no, it didn't barely got nominated for anything if I remember correctly that's Um, insane it is insane it is absolutely insane it just completely didn't hit and it, it took years to actually hit and now it's just you know, an unmitigated well, what, classic. Like. Well, what was wrong with everybody in 1952? Uh, well, it was the lead. It led in the air. <laughs> <laughs> the highest grossing film is The Greatest Show on Earth. Oh, I, I might have seen that. Cecil B. DeMille. Cecil B. Yeah, DeMille. Cecil B. DeMille, yeah. I've seen a lot of his films. I don't think I've seen this one. I haven't seen that one. I know, like, Cleopatra, I think, and Ten Commandments, but... I don't they, did a, they did a run of his movies at, the, at like, a movie theatre by where I was living 
one time and I got to see like a lot of his older films, oh, cool. which was pretty fun. He was pretty great. Uh, like, his films were really over the top, but pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah, like the the best the, the Oscars for best motion picture went to Greatest Show on Earth. That's what won, and the yeah. other nominations were High Noon, Ivanhoe, Moulin Rouge, and The Quiet Man. I feel like I have seen so, Ivanhoe actually. I've gone, I'd like that Ivanhoe is definitely a film that I forgot existed. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Just, to be fair, I'm looking at the images from this Kilimanjaro movie, and it looks sick. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it probably is also vaguely racist. Probably. Probably. It's it looks like it looks like it looks like uh, Gregory Peck goes. Course. Yeah, it looks like Gregory Peck travels to Africa, okay. and I can only imagine the hijinks. I can only imagine <laughs> features no genuine black people in it. It's just... Oh no, it definitely does. <laughs> it does. It looks oh, like there. Picture definitely does. Yeah, it looks like it was shot on location, which is probably why it was a big draw at the time. Oh yeah, of course it would be. That's the kind of thing that you start getting in fifties. Actually, is that kind of location shooting? It's the and just that obsession to be able to see parts of the world. Well, it's not. I guess it's not what you start getting in the fifties, but it's definitely something when I think about when I think about fifties films. No, it's like a prestige thing. It's like just going to yeah. going to big loca- or going to interesting locations that people uh, in the West haven't seen. Yeah, is, is whole, like a is a box office draw. It's the whole David Lean thing, or it's the whole kind of yeah. It's it's the whole Bond thing in the sixties. That's why I've always find fascinating about sixties Bond is they show you like him checking into the hotels and stuff. Right. Yeah. It's exactly. Just right. So, like it's a prestige travel, thing, travel log kind of. Yeah, yeah. I always think it's really cool. But on to like so like 1952, and we are dealing with today's film. <laughs> <laughs> today's movie doesn't have a lot of traveling in it at all. No. <laughs> and moving on to this week's film, we're, we're 1952, obviously, and we're dealing with the bad and the beautiful. Until you can see people as they really are, yourself as you really are, until you can do this to your father's picture. on in the private lives of the famous, the notorious. You will share the laughter and the tears of talented people who stop at nothing to attain success until success stops them. Of romantic people who fight for love until love whips them. Thought you said you were going to get rid of her quick. Shut up and get back upstairs. If you are a gentleman, there is no justification for boorishness. You asked me how my work was going. What was I supposed to say? Great? Incidentally, who was that overgrown bullfighter you danced with all night? Don't talk like that about Georgia. Or Jonathan. He's a great man. (laughs) There are no great men, Buster. There's only men. You're the first person I ever knew who began by hating him and ended up liking him. Do you always do everything backwards? Do you still love him? Can't, can't look off your face. Who gave you the right to dig into me and turn me inside out and decide what I'm like? How do you know how I feel about you? How deep it goes? Maybe it's deeper than I want it to be. Maybe I don't want anybody to own me, you or anybody. Get out! Get out! Never has anyone dared to put on the screen a story told with such boldness, such frankness. Never has anyone assembled such an array of fabulous players. Wherever and whenever you discuss great motion picture drama, the picture that will be talked about first will be the bad and the beautiful. 
So like, yeah, so uh, The Bad and the Beautiful made in 1952 by Vincent Minnelli. It's a film that's kind of told in flashback, uh, mainly, but you get, uh, how do you summarise this? It kind of revolves around the career of, of a film producer who, um, Kurt Douglas, Jonathan Shields, and we kind of see how um, he made the careers of, but also kind of destroyed the personal lives of three people. So you get a director, an actress, and a screenwriter. And it's kind of set around this framing of him trying to convince them to do one more project together. That's that's a pretty good summary of that film. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> yeah, but the irony is you never see him trying to convince them to... Directly, to, yeah. To, yeah, you just... You, you don't even hear him. You just hear the, the reactions of the other people on the phone, really, don't you? Yeah, I like totally. that. I thought that was a good way to frame it. So, so yeah, so it's like, like the only time we see him is in their memories, really. Is in flashback, yeah. yeah. You don't, yeah. So who who else thought this was going to be a musical? I I a hundred percent thought this was a musical. I sold it to uh, Mary Louise and Rosalie <laughs> as a musical. It's like, come on, guys, it's a Minnelli musical. He made Meet Me in St. Louis. Everybody loves that. Let's, yeah, let's, GT and like yeah, yeah. like yeah, and uh, American in Paris. You love those movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which they they both seen and love. So let's watch this. And about ten minutes in, I'm just like not really clocking what's going on. And Mary Louise turns to me and she goes, this is definitely not going to be a musical, is it? There hasn't been a number yet or anything. What are you talking about? I think, uh, if I'm right, yeah, I'm sure I'm right, because this is the first this is the first movie Vincent Minnelli made that wasn't a musical or a comedy, I think. Interesting. Um, and, like, so, yeah, it's a melodrama, which is something we don't really make melodramas anymore, really, but, like, um, that's what it was framed as at the time. But, yeah. That's accurate. He, um... Yeah, and it doesn't really even after this, he doesn't really make much that isn't a comedy or a, a musical, like because he's got like Father of the Bride and, and stuff like that the year before and things. Um, so it was kind of a weird departure for him to make something that was so, uh, yeah, dramatic based really, and no musical. And he made he like made that, but... he made like two two films a year. <laughs> I didn't even realize what the hell. <laughs> told you 1950s amphetamines that's what's happening so in Hollywood he made like. he made two movies in 1951 including an American in Paris two this year including the one we just watched The Bad and the Beautiful two in 53 two in 54 two in 55 uh, some of those the, the one he did in 1952 as well he just did the sequences of the fashion show he didn't do all of it oh okay I'm sorry bit, all right yeah. okay that makes more sense but yeah, all working under MGM because we're right in the studio system at the moment. Actually, this is the first Hollywood film we've covered this series. So if we haven't explained, like the studio system oh, yeah, is okay. a lot different. Like, Well, this like, is the perfect, this is one of the perfect films to start it with, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely nailing what the studio system was at this time and how, yeah. how people were contracted to studios to make films out of them. And No, we're not allowed what... to call them films. Ah, pictures. 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 So we're going to make I a wrote, picture. I wrote the word pictures a hundred times in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. I love it so so much. Really love it. So it's all you know. This this film all bases around that kind of allure of Hollywood and at its peak by kind of but kind of dis- disassembling Hollywood a little bit, really, which is really was a theme of 1950s films. I would say you've got like yeah. all about Eve and you've got um, Sunset Boulevard and Singing in the Rain as well. Like we're all about these kind of looking back at the golden age of Hollywood and and kind of tearing it down a little bit actually. And I actually some... double checked to see just to make sure that Sunset Boulevard came out before this, which it did. Yeah, it did, yeah. Because yeah. it like very clearly was an influence. Yeah, absolutely was an influence. Yeah. And uh and um I'd say we we talk about Minelli all the or uh, uh, loads, like if um 
and the way that you see I think you can see Minelli in this film in the way the kind of camera moves the kind of big sweeping like arms of the camera through shots and stuff so, like uh, this is what I'm here this is what I'm here to talk about don't forget all day, awesome. baby. so Sunset Boulevard came out in 1950 I think the, the the original story of this dates back a year prior to that doesn't it because it was like based on it's meant to be like based set in the theater wasn't it Yes, it was. Yeah, the so, original. Yeah. The original was like a broad, about Broadway rather than oh. about medieval. And it was, it was yeah. basically the same plot, but it was basically a, the same plot. Yeah, yeah, it was based on a magazine story or something like yeah. that that was out in New York. And um, as I was going to say, basically, the John Houseman who produced this. This is a producer's film. Like, um, and the guy who produced it, John Houseman, he bought it and he wanted a film to be called Memo to a Bad Man. Um, <laughs> okay, and he basically said that he's. He's got a great quote here, like, and you can't you can't say any of these quotes about 1950s filmmakers without hearing it in their accents. But like, I can't do it. But he says, "I like it." I said, "I'll do it, but not as a Broadway picture." I'm sick to death of Broadway pictures. I said, <laughs> "I wouldn't know how to add anything to the stuff that's been done." But if you let me do it as a Hollywood picture, I'd love to make it. <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> which is the most like 1950s producery kind of like you can imagine the cigar in it. I can. I was gonna literally just gonna say I can smell the cigar. <laughs> yeah. just I mean, the quote. I, th- I think I don't think there's a scene in this film without. A person with a cigarette in hand. No, of course not. <laughs> Everybody's smoking the whole time. Yeah, it's beautiful. The uh, yeah. for me, this is super Manelli. To be honest, the the camera work is incredible. The camera oh, yeah. work is incredible. From the, yeah, from it the, is. Yeah. From the first shot, one of the first shots you see. That first the... shot, I was like on the floor. Yeah. My my first note is camera just flying everywhere, giant smiley face. <laughs> That's all <laughs> I wrote. Fuck? Is the first shot the um the two cameras kind of coming to meet each other as well? Yes, yes. Yeah. What I thought a shot. that was amazing. Yeah. I, yeah. I tell you what, I love it when they're pushing that crane though. Like the amount oh, of man. people that have to push that. There's like nine so, people to operate it. So that like, that just, that that opening scene just catapulted directly into my clips to show in film school. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Because I just did the thing on camera movement like a week or two ago, and I was like, oh, I should have shown this. This was perfect. And um, I guess we mentioned a couple of times, if you don't know who Vincent Minnelli is, he, he married Catherine Hepburn, and he's the father of... Liza no, he didn't. Did I say... Who did I say? You said Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, yeah, man? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, if you don't know who Vincent Minnelli is, he married Judy Garland. There you go. He was the father of Liza Minnelli. Amazing. I'd actually forgotten. I always forget that every time. Yeah, me too. I don't know why. I I always forget it. So you're kind of talking Hollywood royalty with this, and and especially with like um, um, Kirk Douglas in it as well. Who's yes, the the grand elder statesman of, of the like, golden age, really. Yeah, he like, was a hundred when he made this film, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so eerie how much his son looks like him. It's kind of like you know how even sounds like him as well. Yeah, it's I like thought. the Estevezes and you know the Sheens. Mm. They they're like clones of their dad as well. It's fucking weird. I get I get the Douglases and Sheens confused all the time, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> I that, always I don't know who's who. I have to say, I was just transfixed on his chin for this film. <laughs> He's just got an amazing the, the the hole in his chin. The is dimple, incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's just like how is that real? <laughs> I don't know. It, it looks like it got he got hit like someone tried to put a nail in his chin, <laughs> yeah. and then they stopped. You know, that's really sad. And he's um, Douglas is a weird guy. Not a weird guy. He's just like 
a kind of golden age movie actor, and I think he gets a bit of that kind of. I mean, I, I confuse him with like Charlton Heston, if I'm honest, when yeah, I try and think back of stuff. Like, Interesting. Big kind of bombastic kind of war films and stuff like that. I think about him and like the, the epics as well. You know, Spartacus Ben Hur and, and etc. Like I get. Well, I always think of him as a head. better actor than Charlton Heston. No, he is. That's what I was going to actually defend him. I think like yeah, yeah. I think I think of him as like you know delivering every lines in like a yell and it's definitely a bit no, in his film. I mean he... he's he's got more range. Like I think he yells at only once at the end and I think he's a bit uncalled for the way he yells <laughs> at the end. Like, well, that's if the scene I think you're thinking of is amazing. Oh, it's a great it's an amazing scene. Yeah. Se- the scene where with the actress when he just yeah. uh, loses it with her. Like yeah, when, he, when he dumps her later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the only kind of scene that um that's what I think about as Douglas is kind of what I meant. Um but that's yeah but actually when you watch this and I also watched um uh, what, what the fun did I say? I Pass the glory. <laughs> Pass the glory. Yeah. When, and actually, his his acting in both of those is much more kind of I don't know how to, much more like Brando esque, New Hollywood esque than actually I think I gave him credit for often. Yeah, it's a little bit more nu- a little bit more nuanced. A little bit more nuanced, more, more like characters and yeah, like like playing on screen. And I I loved watching him in this. Actually, it was really cool to watch Kirk Douglas in this. He was really and, good. I was I was. Really, he was good, but I've seen him before. I'd never really seen Lana Turner in anything. Yeah, and she was fantastic. Yeah, she's fantastic. Interesting that she must have been so hot um, when they made this because she's billed above him as well. So yeah, for sure, she must have been absolutely just um, such hot property at the time. And and we can go through like you know nineteen fifties blonde actresses, and Hollywood just you know ate them up and churned them out constantly. <laughs> for like, sure. So I don't, I don't really know what happened to Lana after this, actually. But um, I don't either. I'm going to go find out. But like, I'm your uh, research assistant. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same with um, uh, Gloria Graham as well, who played the um, Southern wife. I thought oh, she yes. was amazing in this. Um, she was really and, good too. And uh, she, she, I think she, pretty sure she wins the Oscar for supporting actress. Really, really, yeah, for that, yeah, as well. That's, that seems excessive, as much as I thought she was pretty she good. Has, <laughs> she has one of my favourite lines in it, though. She goes, "I've just what I've just written thirty-two postcards." <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was I'm so gonna, funny. I posted them this morning. That was I like that too. That was really funny. I really liked her. I just loved her kind of character in it and the the kind of her spunk and the accent. She's the accent so just like George. Yeah, but like, like the way she exits the film, it's like yeah, it's incredible. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, well, when we get to it, that's my favorite part. I messaged Brandon sure. about it earlier. Um, uh, she well, Lana Turner worked a lot from nineteen fifty two. Well, yeah, but she's uh, it slows down a bit then. But until the mid to late sixties, she's doing plenty of films. And in fact, her biggest role is the imita- in Imitation of Life, which is after this okay, in okay. nineteen fifty nine. So she definitely didn't fall off the map after this. She but wasn't. She a, yeah, she, I was just sorry. Go on. She had a good like twelve years prior to this as well. Like before, yeah. like, you know what I mean. Like a good build up to this as well. For sure. Anyway, she was great. Uh, how does this film start again? The guys on set, is that right? So yeah, you've yes. got you. You basically see uh, Kurt. Well, you don't see him, but like they're all receiving phone calls from um, Kurt Douglas's character, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, it so starts. It starts in the present day, and it's and it's. Oh, and this is where the guy just says "drop dead" and hangs up the phone. Yeah. No, so well, you got like <laughs> the director just refuses the call on set. Like uh, the the actress refuses the call from her. House but she does. Maiden. But, but she um, um. But she does that thing where she listens to the phone call, which is like. Which is a plot point to this film, yeah. <laughs> Very important plot point. 
And yeah, the writer kind of makes the point to take the call to see if his shield is paying for it from Paris and then just tells him to drop dead and hangs up. <laughs> and then um, then you end up at Shield Studio, which looks a bit more like, worse for wear. And um, they're talking to Harry, who's kind of the executive producer of the studio, really. Um, and he's kind of got them all together to try and pitch them this. There uh, is one thing that, that, that they do that though, when they drive up, when she gets out of the car, she draws a moustache. Yeah, the on the logo, shield. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is a nice yeah. little right. reference later on with something it that, is. He, that Kurt uh, Douglas does. You know, Ollie, you're right. You really don't need notes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's all up there. <laughs> it's just all in your head, man. <laughs> and um, it's kind of. Blah, 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 blah. I'm, I'm you you do need right. notes though, Liam, don't you? I do you? need. I don't know where I am. <laughs> Basically, he's telling them that he's gonna he's he's gonna get a phone call or through from France or whatever, and they're all kind of re re reencountering like their experiences with them, or like it's at least in their head anyway. Yeah. Yeah, they were re-encountering kind of why they fell out. Incredibly long flashbacks. Yeah. In- <laughs> if you were sitting in his office and they were telling you this, you'd just be like... Fuck. Well, that's an interesting thing. It didn't really occur to me until the end of the film that, like, the scene that is the framing device that we're talking about now, which is the three main characters yeah. hanging out with the producer, in real time would have been five minutes long. Yeah, yeah. And, because they never would have had the conversation. They all know... Yeah, well, but they know each other's stories. Thing is, though, yeah, yeah. Every time it cuts back to them, though, the other guy, what's his name? The guy who used to run the studio. Harry. Yeah, he's like, see, even <laughs> though he was a shit to you, he has helped you because you've got. <laughs> right. Five That's what I mean. It's, it's, it's like there's no reason that they would never be talking about any of this. None of these lines would happen, but they keep, like, they use it quite deftly as a framing device despite how unrealistic it is. Yeah, which is kind of, I don't know maybe this is pushing it but it's a little bit kind of music musical realism to me or full re- faux realism in that kind of like it's movie realism that's for sure yeah and it's, it, yeah. i'm not i'm not the biggest fan of flashback framing devices in films they tend no. to actually get me to turn off a little bit like i get kind of bored with it if a film opens and then i have to sit through like an hour and a half of a flashback to get uh, back Rashomon. to the film <laughs> Well, no, Rashomon's different because it's like it's a different. <laughs> kind of Rashomon's story, different because it's it's no, three separate it's three separate flashbacks yeah. to the same thing. So it's a totally different from this movie. That's also three different three flashbacks. flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was gonna I was gonna defend this movie a little bit because the what it's doing with the flashbacks. But I just hate it when it's like a film opens and someone goes, "I bet you know, don't know how I got here," and then yeah, you're waiting for yeah. like an hour and a half to get back to them. At that point, that always just kind of bugs me a little bit because you just know I, nothing's gonna happen. <laughs> Like, yeah, on top of Sunset Boulevard uh, being an obvious inspiration, I think, I feel like the script structure was sort of based on Citizen Kane a little bit. Absolutely, I was going to Did you it. get the same impression? Yeah, absolutely. And it is um, because the producer of this film was like a big producer on um, a big influence on Citizen Kane and even says it was when he talks about okay. the making of this film. Um, I think he, there's actually kind of, but he talks like the producer, John Houseman, he talks about the kind of, uh, why this film exists and how he changed the original little story to fit with Hollywood. So he talks about the kind of people that he decided to kind of um, lampoon in this film, really. Right. So, like, um, Shields himself is really based on, um, what's his name again? Slaznik? Slaznik? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Who um, he was the producer for Gone with the Wind, Star yes. is Born. 
yes. uh, like third man and stuff. Well, the British but, guy, the British director is Hitchcock, isn't he? Pretty much. The British no, director is I actually don't think he was. Hitchcock. He is because oh, the British one. Okay, yeah, sorry. the British one. Yeah, because he also has his um wife as like the assistant as well. Like, yes, uh, uh, good like call. Alma Reville, yeah, Miss Perfect. Uh, He's too skinny, though. He is too skinny. Yeah, they <laughs> cast badly. <laughs> yeah, that's what threw me. That's what threw me. He was a young. And I was also I was uh, thinking about Hitchcock. I was thinking about the German. Yeah, uh, the director Eric von Stein was it Stein von Stroheim. There's von Stroheim and von Sternberg. Both are two different directors. He says both. He says his model both. Either those. Yeah, either I get those two confused all the time. They're both brilliant filmmakers, and I get them confused constantly. And um, kind of like Georgia. Uh, Georgia is kind of based on Judy Garland, and it, yes, that's, well, that's sad, which and clear, makes a lot of it? sense. Yeah, yeah, like, um, and um, you also get like the uh, Mexican actor Gaucho, who's called in this. Uh, right. People reckon that's actually kind of a self-parody of uh, the actor Gilbert Godland himself doing like a parody of himself in okay. this film, uh, which is kind of cool, like, or kind of interesting, anyway. And um, then you got James Lee Barler, who is the writer. He's meant to be inspired by Paul Elliott Green, who was like a, a North Carolina academic turned screenwriter. He did okay. Cabin, Cabin in the Cotton was his film that he wrote. Okay. Uh, so like Houseman were just basically picking out these people like that he worked with and saw in Hollywood to kind of stick into this film, basically. And I then sort of I sort of read the Kirk Douglas role. I mean, clearly based off of a shitty producer, but. Uh, in certain scenes, it almost felt like almost confessional, maybe about Benelli himself. I was thinking uh, that, yeah, 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 like or something a bit more, a bit because more of the person, because of the yeah. Judy Garland. He just got divorced from Garland a year or two prior, um, so you wonder if he, I don't know, felt like he was a workaholic and like you know what I mean. Like maybe there's something, uh, something with that. Yeah, maybe he feels a bit bad about, or I don't know. The only thing I got from um, Minnelli is what he does say is that a lot of people are asking him why he wanted to do it because, you know, it wasn't really his type of picture. But um, he he basically said that, why do you want to do it? It's like a film that's kind of really critical of Hollywood and you're this big, like, musical, like, director and stuff like that. And he says that he didn't see it as, like, a film against Hollywood. He didn't see Shields as, like, like an ungenerate heel. He saw him as a man with weakness. And he saw like a man who has loads of weakness who gets strength out of others. And he saw that story and thought that was more complicated than just being about the kind of evils of Hollywood. And that's what kind of drove him to be able to, to want to make this basically. And he that says that you, lots of sense. and he says you get these people like any business, you know, you get them in the car industry or anything like that. Like these are the people you meet all the time. It's not just Hollywood. So yeah, I, I, I like, I, I like that assessment and I, I kind of agree that the, like the engine of the film is like how Kirk Douglas is garbage, but the, not only is he garbage, he, I, 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 I see where Manelli's coming from. He's garbage for interesting reasons, and it's because he has this like the, uh, shriveled ego and this chip on his shoulder, yeah. and he just feels pathetic and angry at himself and everybody around at him himself. all the time. Yeah, that's what I took from it as well, that he hates himself as much as he hates anyone else, like, yeah. and, that, and he can't trust himself with it. Um, but see, Manelli has sympathy for him, whereas I don't think too many viewers do. <laughs> no, and I don't think Houseman did either. The producer, I don't think Houseman right. did. Like, and obviously, I I want to. I wonder if there's some semi autobiographical thing about Houseman being a producer with this. Maybe. But I wonder if actually it was there. There was actually disconnect there. He was a bit like, I'm not like these guys. These are bad producers. I'm a good producer, kind of thing. I wonder if that it was that instead. He's Maybe just, you know, you just you can't ever know. I guess like, but um, uh, it just depends on how self aware he was. I guess or yeah. 
But yeah, um, I, the reason I started blabbering on, he does say that he saw Citizen Kane in this. That's one of the things he says. Um, yeah. And he saw loads, and that's when he goes on, he saw loads of legendary things in this, including, you know, Fritz Lang, including, you know, Orson Welles. Um, and he goes, when you work in a legendary world, you get legendary figures, and that's what I wanted to put on the screen. <laughs> Um. <laughs> but it's just you know it's all people who are obsessive about their craft yeah. really isn't it and yeah. like you know when when you do become obsessive over things you do kind of um i'm guilty of it you kind of you know you forget other things or kind of prioritize the wrong things or treat people in a way that you probably shouldn't do and you know it, it can happen this was a common, like you said earlier, this is a common theme about in films of the 50s and, and 40s about Hollywood. So there's like the, or art generally. I've thought about the red shoes a lot as well watching this. Yeah. Which comes out, or I guess a few years later. I'm trying to find out what year that comes out. But it's, it's also about artistic obsession driving people crazy mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean, I definitely get obsessed. Like, I'm obsessed with my work. Like, I'm addicted to it. I don't know about you, Brandon, but I definitely, I can feel that. I can sympathize with that. I mean, I definitely get in the zone and don't pay attention to anything. But then after it's done, I'm glad it's gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then <laughs> as soon as it's gone, the next thing's in. You're like, fuck. Yeah. I like. I also really like my breaks <laughs> at the same time. So I don't know how obsessed I am. So the plot kind of cuts back to our first flashback, really. And we kind of see how the director, who's Fred, meets Kirk Douglas. And it happens at... Um, at Shields' funeral. And uh, it's the funeral of his father, who was a grand producer in himself, his own right. But yes. um, everyone, you find out later on that everyone at the um, funeral was actually being paid by, by Shields to attend. So he gave so them $11 each. Like, yeah, I, I loved love that it. Bit. Yeah. It's so funny. And um, what happened is during the funeral, Fred was talking shit about the producer who was dead and and Shields could hear him. So when he comes up to collect his $11, Shields tells him to you know do a runner. Um, you didn't mourn well enough so you don't get paid right. um, uh, Fred starts feeling bad about this and ends up going to see like Shields to, to kind of apologise but um, then they kind of hit it off they kind of see each other in each other or something Like, I had a question I had a question about this did did the director just like just like drive to his house by mistake <laughs> I think it was meant to is that what there. happened I think it was meant to do it on purpose wasn't he I don't know. It seems like he says something like, I just went ambling and I just walked into this random house and it was the same guy again. I was I was lost. I think he says that he found himself there. I think he said he yeah. didn't mean to drive there, but he found himself driving there. I think that's what he means. Did he know he did he know where he lived? I think he did. I think that was or at least well, he knew where the old Shields house was. Oh, okay. All right, he, okay, 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 okay. That makes sense. I don't think he like I don't think he knew that the younger Shields was there. Right. Um, okay. But you you I, see you see then younger shields kind of in this kind of dilapidated house. Um, all the money's run out. He's kind of just drinking and getting angry. And you get this. Recurring... I, can, I can relate. I can relate to that. <laughs> you get this recurring a... motif here with that devil just... picture as well. But also, um, you get a recurring motif because obviously, you know, Kurt Ru- Kurt, Kurt Russell Kurt Douglas kind of. He's kind of... <laughs> He echoes his father later on, but also the the main actress. What's her name again? Sorry, Lana Turner. She her character is like basically doing what her father did, became like an alcoholic and kind yes. of right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like kind of the, the generational of, aspect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's and that's it's. 
I think we've said this, we're going to probably say this every time, but I, I always just lump the 50s into like kind of golden age, golden age Hollywood. But watching these 50s films, it's very clear that people at the time didn't. And like, and it was seen as like, this is the new generation of people making films rather than it is like the kind of silent era or just beyond the silent era. And, uh, yeah, well, this is the, the, this is the, you know, when you get to the early 50s, they can make movies like this because... Now you've had like twenty plus years yeah, of, ho- plus, of Hollywood, yeah, yeah. of Hollywood having an identity and being this cra- you know tinsel town with this crazy world that Legacy didn't exist. And, you couldn't yeah. have made that movie in nineteen thirty five because it didn't no. exist yet. Uh, so by the time you get to the nineteen to early fifties, it has this legacy that they're they can they're they're all obsessed with and interested in, so they make movies about. It. And they well, start looking that, back though, themselves. Yeah, but King Kong is like about making a movie, isn't it? Really, it well. is. Well, no, it is, kind it's of. about a it's about a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Are they making a movie or making a stage play? Are they, no, like, they're making a movie, and then um, then they decide to take when they ca- when they decide oh, that's instead right, of yeah. like capturing him like on film, they think let's capture him in real life and take in him real back. life. It's the same. But does King Kong smoke a cigar and say he's going to make a picture? Because <laughs> <laughs> if he doesn't, I'm sorry, Ali, it's not the same genre. So they st- and and they start making pictures together now. You get like uh, they call them yeah. loads of quickies. We made loads of quickies, Westerns, <laughs> that, <laughs> and they just earn a quick profit. And you see them on set together. That they're all chipping in. Like Kurt, Kurt looks is there with his top off, pulling like yes. you know bits of set around and stuff like that. Yes. Like, yeah. Um, and then you get flashbacks to their crashing Hollywood parties and making connections and trying to get into elite crowds. Um, Shields starts having this ego about him and he decides that he can win in any poker game that exists. <laughs> Forgot about so, this, actually. So like, uh, so they end up pooling their money together so he gets a $100 buy-in to go and play poker with these top producers. Um, and it's actually Harry, Harry the producer he meets later. And um, he, they all like, they're all so convinced that he's going to win all this money and be out with that money they can get, you know, get their studio off the ground and stuff. But actually he ends up losing $6,000. He purposely loses though, doesn't he? No, I don't think so. I think I don't he think purposely so. loses so he can put himself and say, look, how about I become your line producer? I think he does it on purpose. I don't I, think so. I think he's he's quick on his feet and an opportunist and was able to spin it. I but I don't think he agree. lost on purpose. Uh, let's fight, it, like, let's fight, let's somewhere. fight. Yeah. Me and you, me and you <laughs> at the playground, 3 p.m., let's go. <laughs> but yeah, you know, uh, whatever happens, what, what, the way it plays out is that Harry kind of hires him and says okay you're now making pictures for me and you know quick turnaround i want i want profit out of you and either did, way did, did, did his friends did uh kirk douglas's friends have to stay in that car all night waiting for him to get back from that poker game did <laughs> yes. you notice that <laughs> they're well, just sitting know. in a car all night couldn't they go somewhere else well there wasn't a phone to call them to pick him up when they finished <laughs> well just i don't know seemed to I be over know. the top it did seem very over the top, and actually, I was when I first watched it, I was confused. I thought his friends were the other people in the film. I I, I didn't realize they were just unconnected people that never come back in again. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, you know, you know that like old mansion they they kind of break into. What was that again? And the old mansion they that... break into when they when they first meet Georgia, but then see her. That one isn't that her dad's house. Oh, yeah. is that her up there? Okay, I've got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, so, I don't like, know. I don't remember why they went in there. Um, they were. Just, I think, I, I've got a feeling he was just like, I'm going to buy a place like this someday. And oh, that was it. Yeah, no, no, he was going to. No, he wanted to buy it to make a studio or something. 
Yeah, something something like that. That was it. That was it. They found her there. Um, so yeah, basically, Harry isn't like Harry's idea of producing films is like the Roger Corman kind of stuff. He just wants you to make pictures, and I think he has a phrase that he wants it to end in a kiss and black ink on the books, and that's all he uh, cares about. Like yes, yeah. Um, so they end up churning eleven pictures out for him, um, and they come to the Doom of the Catman. Doom of the Catman. I wrote that one down. <laughs> Which is the picture that Harry just gives them a title and go go and make these films. The scene um, where they where they put the costumes together is beautiful. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It's so, so funny. It's so funny. So yeah, they they're kind of just like they're like a, I don't know because they they talk about the fact that they weren't really picture makers. They were more like secondhand trail trades. Yeah, they were just like taking all the cheap shit that nobody else used anymore. So these old costumes come in that don't fit at all and the kind of the, the fitter, the costume designer is kind of like, if you just put some mesh at the back of that, would be fine. You never see it. And, and then he turns around and he's quite, and it's all open at the front. He's like, okay, that's a problem. You want to get a thinner person to wear this or something. And he's yeah, kind of yeah. sell, like, put some pads, put some shoulder pads under this. It will look fantastic. And they just look yeah, rubbish. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, little bad, bad. This is getting you guys ready for your view, screening of them. <laughs> Good. Yeah. And, uh, I think that that um like Doom of the Catman that's a direct reference to uh cat people names out my head again Slash I assumed names. it was cat, cat I assumed it was cat people yeah. cat people cuz he yeah. did he he produced cat people yeah Oh nice um, So that was a direct takedown of him <laughs> But um they're quite you kind of get this idea that actually Shields and Fred are quite kind of ingenious at this point and actually they instead they take the kind of failings of the, that Doom of the Catman and actually turn it into their like into the successes they don't show the costumes on screen and they use a lot of black and they talk about showing eyes on screen instead and like teeth and stuff and i want to i want to stop and talk about this scene for a second because i thought this was amazing honestly the when they so they do the silly costume scene which is really funny and then they go into his yeah and then they go into his screening room and kirk douglas has his epiphany where he where he like invents a24 prestige horror yeah. basically yeah. <laughs> and so uh, but he, they do this the lighting in that scene is so fantastic it's wonderful yeah you yeah. got half so, the screen it's just like blacked out isn't it it's just yeah like, so, like so, so to, to, to you listeners at home who can't see what I'm what this is uh, this the, the room is fully lit and Kirk Douglas gets up and he's all uh, inspired and freaking out and he's like this darkness that scares people that's what we gotta make it dark and not see anything and as Liam was just saying and when he says darkness he shuts the lights off and there's only one desk lamp illuminating like in the middle of the frame yeah. uh, and it's just striking and incredible and then Kirk Douglas goes over that lamp and starts like putting his hands under it to be creepy it's really an incredible use of practical lights uh, it's, it's pretty uncommon for the time honestly yeah. well, we may yeah. as well point out the uh, the cinematographer then that's Please. Uh, yeah. Robert Surtees and he did Ben-Hur as well well there you go oh, there yeah. you go wow like, yeah, that's a hell of a resume. You did Oklahoma as well. Well, okay, fine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> shit. shit on him. He <laughs> did the Sting. Uh, Star the is Sting's born. good. Oh, I love the Sting. I do the the Judy Garland Star is born. It's the um, it's the Barbara Streisand one. Barbara Streisand. Streisand. Oh, God, yeah, it was okay. on the tip of my tongue, and I couldn't remember her name. <laughs> oh, he also what well, he also shot The Graduate and The Last Picture Show. There you go. Wow. What a what a dude. Yeah. Bad, bad, bad. And Mutiny on the Bounty. Yeah, he won three he won three Academy Awards. What the fuck? 
Wow. I'm just looking through his list now going, this guy rules. He, he did Quo Wadis, that movie I hated. <laughs> <laughs> well done. With one hand you give, the other one you take away. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't his fault. The, the, it was just a boring thing. Uh, I love yeah. I love this bit though. The, the, this film's a hit, kind of. Like it's it's like they they show them going in to watch like the premiere and they say how they didn't let like Harry actually see the film before it going on, and um the then all the kind of young kids run out of the cinema and they're eager to write on the comment cards, which I didn't know was a thing. At, like, yeah, definitely. It still is. It still is to this day. Is it? Wow. Yeah. Well, no, no. That's preview screenings. That's how they 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 run screenings in like malls in Ohio and get people to like rate how much they liked, you know, Ben Affleck's accent or whatever. But like, and they'll have like a compare these days now who kind of like do like show of hands and all that kind of shit, don't they? And, yeah, that's yeah. what I would think of. I just didn't, they just look like they all just ran out to a table and my favourite scene when she just writes, it stinks. On it stinks, yeah. yeah. Perfect really, calligraphy. Like the perfect calligraphy <laughs> right in the middle metallics. of the screen. I thought it was wonderful. She holds it up, she holds it up perfectly for the camera. Yeah. And I thought they, I thought because of that they were going to hate it, but then they start going through the reviews, and it's got just enough positiveness to it that they're like, "This is a hit. This is perfect." Like, um, and uh, because of that, they're giving the sequel, "The Son of the Catman." <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they, uh, they don't want to do that though. They don't. No, they're done. They're done with cat people. They're done with cat people. So instead, the writer, uh, well, no, sorry, Fred, the director, he he wants to be a director. He hasn't managed to do it yet. He's got a script that he's been loving that's based on a book that people have tried to make before, but they haven't been able to make it. So he kind of adapts the he adapts the script into a screenplay. It was called Dune. Dune was it? I couldn't remember the name of it. No, no, that was a joke. I Dune. love this no. bit though because like he goes to Kurt Douglas. I really want to make this film, and then Kurt Douglas goes. You really want to make this film, don't you? Let's make it. You know he doesn't say film. <laughs> no, he says picture. He says picture. I think. From, I think, guys, for the entirety of this series, you have to say picture only. <laughs> picture. I want to do a real picture, adapt a book, a good budget, on location. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he says. I've got it written down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. And at this point, you're getting like the shield's touch. Whatever he had, it was magic. He brought magic to the pictures. Like, um, <laughs> and uh, at that point, that's when you first meet. No, sorry, you first meet little Georgina in a house, but you see Georgina as well. You see her from the back at this point, and she's a stand-in when they're casting the um, Mexican actor. Yes, right. So, and that, that, that kind was a, of that asked... was a funny bit. That was a funny bit too, actually. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just the little insights into. The, the the way they do the insights of the film industry, even though most of the portrait of the film is, you know, fairly toxic. It, yeah. A lot of it, a lot of it is played like this scene, quite lighthearted, quite fun. Uh, it's I don't know. It's it's it was it was a fun portrait for quite a bit of the running time of the of the industry. And what I was always worried about when they got the kind of Mexican actors coming in now doing this really broad character <laughs> each time, I was just kind of like, are they going to say one of these are good because they're not? Like, the it's really bad. Like, bigger and, and bigger each time. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the kind of Sombrero. what is it called? The kind of belt of guns gets kind of like wilder as well each time. <laughs> <laughs> and they it's good stuff. They decide that all the kind of people reading for this role are rubbish. So instead, they're gonna like try and try and get a famous actor in a famous Latino actor who's called Gaucho, and they kind of hunt him down and kind of honey trap him. I guess is what's yep. kind of like going on. That was um, weird. They had this lady who looked like she seemed to be a robot who would dance on <laughs> command yes. to salt like right. If they put on the right music, she would just 
Stepford wife her ass through some dance steps. It was There's so weird. Because like, basically it's not really working because Shields can't handle his alcohol or something. Like, that bit when Gaucho carries him through, he carries Kurt <laughs> Douglas like he weighs nothing. Yeah, it's, like, strong, it's a strong man. And he just chucks him down on the sofa and he starts mumbling. He kind of says something like, you guys, if you want me to do a film, show me the script. I would like it. I'll do it. Like, you don't need to do all this. See, I thought something the girl along that, was... that, like... I thought the girl that was with them was there. It was the girl that was in the film, you know. Um, no, it's not. not. It's her. just another girl. Yeah, I thought so at first as well, which was a little confusing, and it took me a while to realize she wasn't. Yeah, because they definitely have her as a stand-in, and they because they ask specifically who she is, and they're like, "Oh, that's Georgina, whatever her surname is. Um, she's just a drunk." It's how they how they word it, and that they move on from that, like. Um, but as you're saying, in this scene in the hotel room, they literally put on some music and that girl just starts dancing for no reason. So it was very weird. <laughs> yeah, I was a little creeped out by her. <laughs> um, yeah, Gaucho joins it. He's up for he's up for films. Um, but then we get like the first kind of the first kind of definite shields is an asshole moment, even though there's been inklings of it, where um, they're in Harry's office with the director. With this, with the actor, and um, but the Fred who wants to direct the film, he's outside, oh, and yeah. um, and uh, Shields comes marching out, and they're all laughing and slapping each other on the back and saying how great it is. And Shields delivers the information to Fred uh, that he sold this picture. And they're going to direct it. He's got a budget. He's got a big budget, but he's not going to direct it. Fred's not going to direct it. They're going to get this guy to direct it. Who? who I think, I can't remember which director it is, but he's a very famous director, and he'll do a great job of it and stuff. And Fred's like, but. I'm going to direct it. The whole point was I'm meant to direct it. And Shield's like, no, 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 no. You'll be fine. You're not ready to direct it. Um, and he's like, but, it's I, brutal. It's but brutal. I fucking wrote it. We wrote it. And like the other director is kind of ignores Fred and just t- tell and goes on about how great Shields is. And as I've never worked with a producer who can write a script that's so amazing. It's like you in the director's head when you're writing this script. And Fred's there just like, yeah, just that he just, despair you know steals like the film right out from under his friend just, this is like the big brutal. isn't this like in the social network when they take uh what's his face's <laughs> name off the masthead it's, it it's, it's just just brutal. the yeah. the this was the, the so there's a couple of these later in the film as well but each one of these plot points and backstabbings they hit like a ton of bricks every yeah. time like the timing is so good the time is brilliant and it's so specifically stabbing him in the back it's so like targeted to what like you know fred's kind of weakness or something but each 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 time this happens in the film the whole audience in my house was like oh shit what no (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so good filmmaking that is and then like yeah so that's kind of the end of his flashback it cuts back to the kind of framing device it cuts back to harry's office and as ollie was saying it kind of cuts to harry going yeah but you became like a great director and you've won oscars now like or academy awards i didn't call them oscars then um and uh and fred's like yeah i know i did i guess i did kind of kind of <laughs> get success afterwards like if shields hadn't abandoned me then maybe maybe i wouldn't have ever found that success or something well, it's like he he lets you go be your own man <laughs> yeah yeah because right? yeah. because he cut you off you you found your own voice and went to another studio and made good pictures etc <laughs> And you win an actual Academy Award because we actually have the Academy Awards here to show you. Yes, we've got to show, we've got to put them proudly on display in every on display. other shot. <laughs> Again, they got to keep them as well because they won five of them for this film. Yeah, they, they? they got nominated for six, won five. It's actually quite famous in Oscars because it's the most amount of Oscars a film's ever won that didn't get nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Is, 
pretty weird that he didn't get nominated, to be honest. That is um, weird. It didn't even get Best Director either. I think, yeah, it didn't get the two big awards, but it just won everything else, which is... I think this was quite well directed. Yeah, I I really do as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, What's the next bit? We've got a second flashback, don't we? Yeah, so it's Georgina's story now. And um, kind of, I I think there's a really sweet thing in Georgina's story that I really like, and it's her agent who, like... He's great. (laughs) I love this character so much. I love him so much. He's just, like, a nice guy who has these bit players. He's the nicest man, and he cries all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, when she gets rejected, he offers her a little shot of gin or something, whatever it is. He's always there. He's just the the best. I I aspire to be that kind of friend. Absolutely. Like, and he's he's personally driving her to kind of auditions and stuff and letting her change and things like that. What was his name? Was it Gus? Was his name? I think it's no. Gus. I think it is Gus. I was going to say Sid, but it might be Gus. No, no. Sid's the PR guy played by an actor oh, in Citizen Kane. Yeah. Gus. Sammy White is the actor. Yeah, it's Gus. Gus, yeah. yeah. Um, and you kind of see her bouncing around these bit parts until she ends up in Shield's office. And she's literally just getting casted for a lady that's. Sh- talking in a i don't know in a pharmacy or something um but they cast her just based on looks alone they're not interested in hearing them they just line up these ladies and they choose which one they want to like the look at um shields i think you get the impression shields selects her because he remembers her from like the house that he sees her in before and that that was my impression as well yeah and um he kind of praises her on set when she's doing this little bit role with um gaucho he gives her some instructions he takes it really well um, and he likes the kind of look of her on screen, so she kind of, he kind of gets invested in her, in her and decides that she's going to be his like his starlet for Shields pictures. Um, I think there was a really bit with there's a really weird bit with Gaucho now where he turns up. Is it now? But anyway, whatever. He turns up at Shields's office and tells him about the nice new thing he bought. And he points oh, outside yeah. and it's a car. Oh, the car. I think that's a little bit later, but that's the sexual innuendo there is off the it's charts. Off the charts, I know. But like, and it's not nice. No. He's basically just offering to sleep with his new girlfriend. Yes, and, he's like, 100% yeah. just saying, go have sex with this woman. Have go have sex with this woman. Look, she's, yeah. she can have her. Like, and I'm yeah. like, this 1950s, come on, 1950s. Yeah, it was, <laughs> this, this, this film was rife, was rife with that. Uh, to the point where uh, a scene, I think, that happened before that, that I think you're about to get to, when Kirk Douglas goes to confront um, Lana Turner in her house to try and... It's yes. one of their first arguments or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, She's, yeah, yeah. My daughter started screaming that he was a sexist at the screen. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> so that's that was her reaction. Yeah, because she's kind of like... She's in like this kind of bed sit. And she's surrounded by motifs of her father still, like his old, and pa- ward, his and old pictures. Paper, and paper cups full of alcohol. Full of booze, yeah. She's she's very heavily <laughs> shown to be an alcoholic at this point. <laughs> um, they they also, um, uh, what's the word? They also kind of uh, attack her for trying to commit suicide a few times. Yes. Um, she says that she tried twice, the next time won't. The next time will be the last time. I think that's the way she words it, which is dark as hell. Like um, I know she said there won't be a next time. Yeah, I think she said she said there won't be a next time. I think that's what I'm. That's what she means, though. Ne- there won't be. I've oh. survived. Like I took I've it tried... the other way, but I don't know. I read it as. I read it I agree with Ali. Oh, I heard it as like I tried twice. There won't be a next time. I'll I think. Try. I think you're just a dark soul. <laughs> Maybe I am. Maybe I am. Glass <laughs> is half empty. Glass half full. And yeah. like, yeah, her father was some big 
character actor kind of thing. I think in the, I forget the actor's name, Brad um, Barrymore. I think it's kind of like that kind of essence of him. And yeah, Michael. as Ollie was saying, you get the bit on the screen now when he, he kind of takes the piss out of her father drawing the moustache. Yes. Like portrait and stuff. And puts on Which, the records of him like talking. Yeah, and he was doing. He was doing Hamlet. Yeah, yeah. Was it Hamlet? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they have. Like, he basically has a just berates her and kind of beats her up a little bit, and yeah, like, just telling her what to telling her what to do and who yeah. she is, and not letting her say a damn thing for herself. No, no, she's not allowed. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I swear, everyone in the nineteen fifties had PTSD from the war. Like, they're just assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's probably true. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so he casts her. They have a casting scene and everyone else apart from Shields hates her. And it's a really tough scene because she's like hiding in the little like projectors box. Listening. Yeah, there's a great a great bit there where she's in the, in the projectors booth and the camera kind of dollies in behind her yeah. a little bit. And there's the window and the shot of her on the screen like in the, in the back. So you yes. get kind of her and the screen at the same time, beautifully framed. That is, I, lo- I love just just after that when you can hearing like the directors and the actors, the other the producers and stuff like that, all saying that she's rubbish. Yeah. Um, I think it's Gus, her agent, kind of sneaks past her and just closes the window. <laughs> yes, it is, and, and gives her kind of, alcohol. It gives her some alcohol. Yeah, and goes, never mind, you know, like. <laughs> but um, but but Shields doesn't matter. And then just after you get Shields, tells her in the um in his own office that she's hired, she's going to take the big role. Um, and this is a bit, Gus breaks down and starts crying. <laughs> yes, it was. this was incredible. <laughs> He's my favourite. Uh, but then what happens, she gets on set and she she can't handle the pressure, so she goes on a bender. Um, yep. And they're about to well, kind no, of... Well, she, she promises to, like, to stop drinking, which she does. And then I think, like, a week before they're about to start production... He yeah. he pours her a drink, and then I think that's what starts it again because he goes just one. And then, oh yeah, and then maybe. I think it then oh, spirals yeah, out. Of that. Yeah, they have like champagne or something, he, don't they? Because he office, sends her to right. a retreat or whatever, doesn't he? And then yeah, so he she doesn't she doesn't show up on the first day to shoot. She doesn't. Yeah, she I th- she turns up the day before and gets really nervous walking around the empty set. Yes, and then doesn't turn up actually on the day. Um, Shields works out that he's that she is like locked in her bed sit drinking and goes to rescue her and then um he basically he's a dick at this point like it's really gross when he he works out that she like fancies him is falling for him so he just uses it to 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 get her to act so she just pretends and to to replicate any emotion and feeling to her um pretends to be falling in love with her um just to be kind of getting her to kind of turn up for work and put her best effort in and then once the kind of film gets released to premiere, um, I love the premiere shot. There's a big crane shot that goes for the crowd to kind of show her coming out of the car. Before that, awesome, before, like. you've missed a bit yeah. back in his house where he's on the phone to like the, the, the other producers or the other filmmakers, and he's like, "No, she'll be there on Monday." But like, uh, she lifts up the phone again to listen in on the conversation. But he he he, can, he knows that she's listening in on it. Yeah, you get him saying two different things rather than when. Yeah she's listening yeah he frames what he's saying knowing if she's listening or not yeah she you, know, you missed another one of these yeah he really is you missed another one of these amazing crane shots that this film has so many of oh, yeah. in when she finally gets like rolling with the acting 
they end, they do a little kind of maybe montage of how the film goes once she starts acting, if I remember correctly. And okay. that ends, that ends with her like nailing this really emotional scene yeah. with somebody's dying. I think it's Gaucho's dying Gaucho's in her dying, arms. Yeah. She's crying and it starts with a close up on her and then Crane's up, um, up and past her and past all the faces of the crew, like watching her being yes. blown away by her performance. And again, the camera just floats gorgeously up towards the, the lighter, the gaffer up in the ceiling. It's gorgeous stuff. Yeah, because they're making a kind of like it looks like a Russian Revolution film. Or something. That's that's how I took it too. Yeah. yeah, lots of like it looks really busy and really hard to make. There's loads of extras and fire and stuff like that. Is like, this the same film that his friend wanted to direct or not? No, no, this not. is something else. It's years later. Yeah, yeah. Um, then yes, yeah, so yes, premiere premiere goes really well. Uh, he's not there, so she goes to his house to celebrate with him. And then when she's there, like another starlet kind of comes down the stairs to kind of yell at her. And, and yet her. another brutal backstab. A brutal backstab, yeah. Basically, what was she said? I haven't got it written down, but she says something like, um, like, oh, I can't remember. It's so brutal what she says to her. Basically implying that, like, you're just to get the picture done and I'm, like, and I'm, I'm full-time or something. I can't remember what it is. Um, and this is that remember. scene where um, he just snaps. Yeah, Douglas becomes an. I wrote down Douglas is an animal. Yeah, he, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his physicality is incredible. Yeah, and he just has this like, it's like he will never let someone love him, is or like never let himself love anyone else because that makes him vulnerable, and he's right. never going to let anyone control him or have any control over him by, by, by well, being, being able to he says manipulate that. his emotions. Yeah, it's it's kind of mental, and he just looks so troubled and animalistic yeah like I mean, the fact that he like he just seems to hate her completely yeah just, in that moment yeah. like out of nowhere sort of, of. No, yeah the snap of it like um then this <laughs> however there was i did find the next bit kind of funny if i'm honest it's the um she has a blowout when driving home in the kind of the the uh oh. <laughs> driving home in the um storm and it's just like that, yeah, okay. it's just not. As, I didn't find it as dramatic as I think I, I meant to found it. Can I? It just, can I? Can I provide a dissenting opinion? Of course you can. I I, I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see where you're coming from, but uh, I think there's um, uh, again just the lighting and the the, the light shot cool. and, and the rain and the windows and everything. It's just this very impressionistic kind of moment, and then her acting again. Um, so intense. She's. It's almost like something you'd see in, um, uh, like possess. Or never mind. I'm not gonna make that reference. Like uh, Mulholland Drive or something. Like she's just losing her shit. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Completely. Yeah. So the intensity of it, I really loved. I kind of loved how um, minimalistic it was. Just keeping the camera in the car. Obviously, it was for budget reasons or whatever. They couldn't do it. Um, but the solution they come up with. Uh, I just thought it was really compelling and really I interesting. It. I thought it was both compelling and ridiculous at the same time. So I can, I can yeah, I can. Yeah, you're not wrong. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Like, and you know what's going on, and you know the emotion, you get it. Like, so it's all cool. It's all cool. It's In all the back cool. of my mind, I was like, well, this, they clearly just didn't have a choice. <laughs> they can only well, do yeah, it like this. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just it just made me laugh how long she wasn't holding the wheel. I think that's <laughs> that, that was funny. Yeah, no, that is true. There was, there was a second there. Where I went, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> Uh, but yeah so I think it kind of yeah it cuts back to Harry now and he does the same thing to her he's like yeah but you know because you walked out on him then you got a contract with this studio and 
and he didn't take his course and you made great pictures well he obviously (laughs) felt a bit guilty because you released her from the con from the contracts of yeah he didn't sue her for walking out on the contract yeah Yeah. right uh which is i think it's it's meant to be adding to the complicated nature of him like he's yeah uh which kind of i think it's meant to show that he did have feelings for her but he's such a like a a fucked up man that he won't let himself have like or let someone get close to him in that way because that will be a vulnerability and he can't he's sort of like a sort of like a sociopath uh, in a lot of ways (laughs) like he doesn't he doesn't actually have i just said he hated her a second ago but i think overall he doesn't have like a lot of negative feelings or intentions towards any of those people or anyone else he just wants to do whatever is necessary no matter what to get what he wants and to To get get that to get, the get that film made, yeah, yeah, yeah. get the picture, and so he doesn't care who he hurts or what happens to them, or he just doesn't care about them. I think if you see what I mean, yeah, yeah, that's how that's how I took it for the most part. So he's happy to release her from the contract, uh, just because he just doesn't. He just he, he got the picture from her, and he he's got done the awards with her. from her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and says he doesn't he doesn't need her anymore. And kind of when you meet her in this framing device, she's like the top Hollywood top Hollywood star. They say like uh, right. she's she's on top of a game now, and she's coming here as as like that. Um, I, w- I should say the framing device that we did have is actually what Harry says before we, they start these flashbacks is that you cannot make a shield picture in this town, but you can make a Fred, Georgia, and John uh, James. Sorry, right? Yes, picture. yeah. We kind of forgot to mention that it's set up that Young Shields has has gone the path of his gone, father yeah. and yeah. been destroyed. Yeah, you can't make a you can make a dime in the town at all. Like, I guess never really say why, other than what you know the events that we see. Yeah, I think I guess it's meant to be that, and I guess that's why he's meant to be in Paris because he's, he's he's kind of they're saying that like he's escaped Hollywood to try and make French films or something. Oh, is this is this another Orson Welles jibe? Um, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> no, I think it's too. I think it's too early for that actually. It's kind it must of be about somebody else. Yeah, yeah I don't think that happens for another ten years. They were, they were ahead of the time. It's too early for stuff like Rafifi, um, which is all about like people not being able to make stuff in Hollywood. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe yeah, I think he just. I, I, I think it's a coincidence, and he went to Paris because it's a nice place to go. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we get onto the next story now, which is the screenwriter, and he. Yes. Um, uh, so yeah, that's James. James Lee, I think his name is. And uh, he's like a professor in a small university town. He's he's very happy. He's written a moderately successful book, which you know makes him quite famous in his town. Uh, all the like ladies at the book reading love him, and all kind of fall oh, yeah. and it's, stuff like that. Like, he's written a successful book that is quote and I quote liberally peppered with sex. <laughs> and he writes that you get the impression that he writes like naughty in their books when he's signing it, and they're all like, yes. <laughs> "What is he, his wife says to him though?" Like she says something like. That you're naughty, or oh, is she, is yeah, she, something like that. You are she implies naughty, that, and I love it, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah she she yeah. implies that like, oh, it's it's this is untoward, and I don't like it, but maybe I really do. But actually, I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was that a little bit like that. Uh, yeah. his, but Shields has bought the rights to his book, um, but James he doesn't want to adapt it. He's not interested at all. He's turns down the chance to come to Hollywood until his wife finds out that he's turning down that chance, and his wife is obsessed with Hollywood. So right. for because he loves his wife, um, he and wants to kind of satisfy her, he goes, okay, let's go to Hollywood and you can see all the, the stuff you love kind of thing. He has no real intention to, to be a screenwriter or anything like that. Um, 
once meeting Shields, Shields kind of convinces him to stay a little longer again. You know, just give it two more weeks and 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 why not give this a try? And uh, then he kind of convinces him. And because, again, his wife's loving it so much, he then convinces him, come on, write this picture and you can write this picture and we'll get this done. We'll get this adaptation done. And he goes to the extent of bringing over like his writer's desk and typewriter and his rocking chair to write oh, yeah. with. Which, which was, looked really uncomfortable, actually. Yeah, I was like, how does he's, he's have leaning, a back? He's right, his back. Yeah, he was leaning over so far. I was like, God, man, your back's going to fall apart. His writing desk was like up to his knee. It, like, <laughs> it was so weird. Ollie, uh, can you imagine trying to use After Effects with your old rocker and your computer down low <laughs> by your knee? I've probably used worse, to be honest. That's probably true. Um, your old rocker. How can you write in a rocking chair? <laughs> but how did he obtain... The, the table and chairs and that like how did he get into his because at this point shields can do anything can do anything he's like batman he can get from the hole and whatever to gotham no problem there is a batman reference in this actually if you heard oh, god damn it <laughs> is there yeah they, they i don't know if it's actually batman but it's like the batman or the batman or something like talking about one of his horror films that he made or something like that okay i didn't catch that well i heard it I well, bet you glad, did. I'm glad we got Batman in. It's yep. good. This one it was my fault, actually. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. I'm going to have to go punish myself. <laughs> like, whip myself like one of those you know, Catholic self-flagellating... Self-flagellating Catholics. Or yeah, whatever it is. Have a bracelet of barbed wire. That's yeah, one good. of those things. <laughs> Man, I feel really bad now. Um, <laughs> he's, however, he can't write because his wife is so distracting. And, uh, I hate that. I hate it. <laughs> you don't see her do anything. So- <laughs> Not really. You know? Basically, I, I don't know if it's so much that she's so distracting. Is they just? I think what they're playing at the moment, which makes it kind of really bad when it all changes, that how much they love each other. Basically, like yeah. he absolutely dolts over her, adores her. She's the same. And um, they, I think when they're saying she keeps distracting him, is they're just having sex all the time is what they're actually trying to but like, kind of imply. When he was back home in North Carolina, they would have been living in the same house when he was writing yeah. he as said, well. There's no reason that this should be more distracting. Oh, but he says that he um, it took him like seven years to get this one book out because his wife is uh, always distracting him or something okay, like that. Like, okay, they do okay, say sorry. something like that, yeah. Does George R.R. Right, okay. R. R. Martin have a distracting wife then? No, he has a, a wife who helps edit his books, actually, I think. <laughs> um, so, Shields, being the, the heel of this film, he dis- he comes up with a plan to kind of get her out the way. So, he he hires his good friend Gaucho to basically... <laughs> oh, this is so bad. This to is so sleep bad. with her. <laughs> like, uh. um, and whilst, that, whilst he's seducing her... He then takes James up to like a retreat in a cabin somewhere in North California. Or something, in like. Lake Tahoe, Lake Tahoe. Was it Lake Tahoe? I've been to Lake Tahoe. And, yeah, uh, and um, yeah, they're working together and they're loving it. During this like little little cabin stay, they become best of buddies and they're, they're playing off each other and they finish the script and they're finishing each other's sentences and stuff like that. Like, they become best of buddies. Yeah. Um, and on the drive home, they're uh, all laughing and having fun and they stop for gas. And in the newsstand, he buys a Pepsi. I like that. He buys a Pepsi and then takes a couple of attempts to knock the cap off, which I always like in these old films because they never oh, yeah. get it in one. Need to but get, yeah, um, need to get uh, George McFly to open that. George McFly, that's exactly what I thought. I exactly thought that's the future <laughs> when he's doing it. <laughs> right. But yeah, he sees the head paper and it says something like, uh, what does it say? 
it's really funny, like, leading actor and writer's wife dies. Okay, this <laughs> made me piss myself because, okay, that paper would have had to be written earlier that day. Yeah. By the time they get the helicopter to the crash site, the bodies are still there. The crash site is still on fire. It's like, hang on a minute. No. No. Things work quickly in the 50s. Yeah, man. When I saw that headline, and then when I saw the headline, it was another, like, no, what? (laughs) Huge twists. Loving it. That's that's the melodrama, baby. You go big. That's, yeah, you have to go big. Like, if you're going to go anywhere, go big. Yeah. Um, Yes. As you say, Holly, like, they um, drive to the crash site. Which is wonderful. It's a wonderful set with all the yeah. sand and stuff like that. Yeah. To, so he can identify the bodies on site. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think that's the way this works. <laughs> <laughs> just to put that knife in a little bit further and just turn it a little yeah. bit more in his back. Like. Brutal. Um, Absolutely brutal. But it's okay because uh, they've got a picture to write. <laughs> now, they, yeah. now they've got the picture. No distractions onto the picture. Um, so this isn't Jane- even the climax. I just realized you'd think that that would be the climax of this flashback, but there's actually a bit no, more. No, it to isn't. Go. Yeah, no, no, they can become. They're still. Like James actually says right now that he would never have survived the death of his wife if it wasn't for Shields. They become best right. buddies. They love each other. Like, um, and he has no idea the role that Shields played. Um, and it doesn't bother Shields at all. It doesn't even like he's <laughs> so there's, bad. There's no suggestion at any point in this film that he feels any amount of guilt for anything. This is what like, I mean. Like he's a sociopath. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they're kind of. This is the point when they're looking for casting for this new film, and the guy, they, the writer says, James pipes something. Guys, look, I know this is not my business, but you know who'd be perfect for this? It'd be that Georgina. She's the best actress in town. And Shields is like, um, no, like, like she hates me. She'll never do this picture. But kind of suggests like, you know, if you're her neighbour, why don't you just pop over there and drop her the script, see what she says, you know? Like, if she wants to do it, then fine. Yeah, we, can, yeah. we can do that kind of thing. So this is obviously the point where you get the, the three meet each other. Georgina seems to be working with Fred, and, and like the director. He's in that room as well. And they're all talking about Shields and... She has a great line here when she says, like, uh, like I started loving him and end up hating him, and you started up hating him and ended yes, up loving yeah. him. Yes, yeah. You're the only one, she yeah, says. Why have you gone in this direction kind of thing? You know? Yeah. Uh, so she's kind of, like, warning about him, like, you know, like, like he's bad news. Trust me, he's bad news. And he's like, yeah. oh, we've got this great script. It's going to be a great film. It's a great, great picture, I should say. And uh, that's... Then, like, yeah. Okay, so then what happens is... They're shooting the picture. They're loving it, but Shields wants more out of it. He gets into the uh, an argument with the German director, yes. who, and the German director is refusing to kind of shoot what Shields is telling him to shoot. He's like, "Look, he has a great line that I wish I'd written down." Actually, he says something. Yeah, like, no, I did. The, uh, to direct one must have humility. Yes, 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 yes. yes. You damn right, I wrote that down. <laughs> and he says how like a uh, you can't have like a uh, you can't have a cataclysm in every scene or something like climax. That. climax i love I, I absolutely love i love this scene yeah. so much because uh, it was it was it was like minnelli's notes on a directing film yes a yeah, yeah, he was like every every scene can't be a climax you've got to build you've got to make rhythm you've got to pace uh you can't just have every moment be the biggest moment ever sort of uh, you get the impression that what kirk douglas wants is a michael bay movie where every single thing is the biggest <laughs> 
yeah. you know what I mean? There's no yeah, yeah. quiet moments at all. And the, and the director is like trying to explain to him that that's not going to work. Uh, and, and yeah, ends, ends his tirade with the two direct one must have humility. Do you have humility? Mr. Shields. Shields does not have humility. He does not. I love how he hangs off the camera at all times. He's literally hanging off it as it's, yeah. <laughs> it's like, as it's what swinging are you around. doing? So yeah, Shields decides that he can die. This directing business is nothing. Like, I haven't heard of Autair theory yet, so I can do no. this. Like, um, and he, it looks awesome what he's shooting. I, I thought, I thought this was a comment on Wells for something. this has got a bit like it got too big for his breeches or something. It didn't kind of follow the producer notes. He didn't listen to the producers. He just tried to make films that are too big. I thought there was something there with that, some kind of critique of of, Maybe. of that kind of how he got like how he just decided that he was the most important voice in a film. It's weirdly, because for me personally watching it, I, I took it as, as a critique of producers who give too many notes. Okay, yeah. Um, that's how that's how I took it, is, is just kind of like, uh, not that they're, not that you should always just shut up and let the director do whatever they want, but at a certain point, let the director direct and back yeah. off a bit. It's at least saying that, like, the director is a valuable role and it's it can't just be done by anyone in this process kind of thing. But yeah. That's how I took this whole sequence. Yeah, so yeah, Shields doesn't have a fucking clue what he's doing. He's far too indulgent. He's far too patient is one of the things they point out. He goes um, too over budget and he just takes it, makes everything go far too long. Um, when they sit down and watch it, he, he, um, he's, he kind of points out that everything else in the film is perfect apart from the direction. Um, and he says he chooses to shelve the picture rather than actually release it, you know. Yeah, and there's another one where, he, where they point out specifically the thing that he got wrong was the pacing of yeah, the film. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the one thing, and I thought that was a really interesting thing to point out, that that's what, in their minds, is what the director is primarily responsible for. I think Harry's for. saying stuff like, we can recut stuff, and he's like, no, I've, I've intrinsically lost the kind of pace of this film. I've intrinsically lost what it should feel like right. and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, like the blocking within yeah. the scene was was just off. I thought that was really interesting. Um, so instead of releasing it just to make his money back, even that Harry's like, we have to release it. We have to make money. We can't just not release something. Shields refuses to release it um, because his name is on it. He's not going to release something that's bad with his name on, and that leads to kind of a catastrophe and just the bankruptcy of Shields Pictures. Um, whilst like, uh, they're kind of. After this happens, James and Shields are sitting in his office and James is telling him, look, we can pick ourselves back up again. We can do stuff. Why don't you come with me? I can't remember where they're going, but they're going somewhere. And he's like, why don't you pack your bags and come with me and we'll start again kind of stuff. And uh, Shields is really up for it and he's really happy to go do that. But like, uh, whilst he's packing, he says something about... Uh, I can't remember what he says either, does it? It's such a, but it's a really good line because it's really it's subtle. It's really subtle, yeah. It's like a subtle and mistake. He says something like, it's really good she's out of your life or something. Or when... No, 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 no. He says, I begged Gaucho not to get on that plane. I knew he wouldn't be good for him. That was like, it. He doesn't mention anything about his wife, actually, at that point. Um, no, it's just that he knew he knew that Gaucho was yes, traveling he, on that plane and therefore that like unlocks yeah. the whole web for uh, for the writer. And uh, kind yeah. of because of that, what you get is that his Jim, no, James, starts kind of reevaluating his relationship with his wife. A bit of a weird kind of thing. Um, but like, he ends the book he kind of writes is about his dead wife. And 
that's the book that wins him the Pulitzer Prize. Pulitzer's Prize. Right. Doing what Ham does in the film. He can't say Pulitzer throughout the whole thing. He keeps calling it like Pulitzer. Pulitzer. No. You can win that great prize. Like maybe maybe it was a new thing. At the yeah, time. I don't know what that was. I just uh, I liked it. It made me laugh. Because so what basically what they're saying there, like the others, that the fact that kind of. <laughs> the fact that it's hard to even it's like, say it. It's okay. It's 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 so horrible. It's okay that your wife died because yeah. you want a Pulitzer. Is his argument? It's, not, it's it's kind of like it's okay <laughs> that Shields kind of fought, got kind of got your wife into an affair that led to her death, and she died, and you then could see that she was a problem in your life, and that means you can now hate her. But you wrote a bad book. You wrote a great book about her, which when you a Pulitzer or something like. Yeah, fine. You want a Pulitzer? Yeah, happiness. Everything's fine if you want a Pulitzer. Anything's worth a Pulitzer. Yeah, everything's worth the gold. Like, just I'll do. I'll do anything for that. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, yes, he was terrible, but he's talented. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that point, and you know, an hour and a half into the into the flashbacks. No, it's longer than that. It's right near the end, isn't it? Like, so. Yeah, we're near the uh, end. Finally, Shields' call comes through, and. uh and once more, Harry asked them, look, are you going to work with Shields? Come on, we got something here. And all three of them reject him still. Like, uh, you know, we're not going to do this. They reject him. They walk out of his office. Uh-huh. But they're, um, they're kind of hearing Harry talking and kind of get intrigued by what they're saying. So they do the little trick and picking up the handset that's out there to listen in on the call. And kind of Rosalie was very confused by that. Popcorn, <laughs> yeah, by the way. Sure. <laughs> she was like, she was like, wait a minute, what is that something you can do with phones? I don't <laughs> understand. Yes, yeah, so the magical landlines—they're all just a big tube that yeah. to your ear. Like, yep, this is one of those moments I had to explain <laughs> ancient technology. And like, yeah, slowly they all kind of sneak in and start listening to to the um, to what Shields is saying, and they all have a look on their face about like, hmm. Maybe I will do another picture. He still got it. He had old scamp. <laughs> yeah. He still got it. Still got that movie magic. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, yeah, fade to end. Actually, that's all it does. Yeah, that's the end of the film. Yeah, yeah that's that's the end. Yeah, and uh, some great credits. I loved. I love. I love credits with you see the cast and the names. I love that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. The credits were good. The title design was really yeah, nice. Yeah, I thought so too. I really, I did like them. And of course, I sent you the picture. I really like the last frame, which was like thanking the Academy. (laughs) (laughs) To to let us uh, put the awards. To let us using the awards. There must have been a massive, a massive copyright issue. So I assume that that's why they had to do that. It did make me laugh just how damn prominent it was. It wasn't just a little line somewhere, (laughs) like a whole card that just said with a picture of the Oscar. There's there's a big, bold letters. So like, um, I mean, what did you think of the, the picture? Like, what did you think of it? Well, I think Ollie's been silent for the last 15 minutes, so I think he should get <laughs> I think Ollie's asleep. Here. It's too late for him. No, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, for me, it's a solid three and a half, four out of five, I think. You know, it's really well directed. Uh, you know, like, as we were saying earlier, the camera moves are, like, are sublime. Some of them are, like, fantastic. And um, But, yeah, the cinematography's great. The lighting, you know, the blocking, the performances yeah i thought it was great uh, yeah, it was a good picture good picture i'm with you uh solid four for me pretty much exactly the yeah. same notes the, the blocking and the camera movement and the lighting were just exquisite uh all pretty much all the way through uh the only thing stopping it from being 
you know, uh, higher rated is that like about halfway through the story, you're thinking, I, I, I think I get it. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit long in places, yeah, I think. Yeah, it could have been, yeah. it could have, 20 minutes could have gone from this, I think, and I wouldn't have. I think so, I think so. And I don't like saying that because I do like, I do like the slower paced older films, but this one definitely, you felt it a bit. Particularly, I saw somebody else point out, and I think they're right, that the climax of the second story when he cheats on Georgia is just a stronger ending. Like oh, she then, ended on that one as opposed to the other. Yeah, because the writer character, he just comes in so much later and just doesn't feel well, as he connected. Used to, he has helped result in a death. I think <laughs> I don't think you can get worse than death. No, no, no. Of course, no, no, no. Mel, like objectively, yeah, of course it's worse. But in terms of the dramatic uh, relationships built through the film, the the director character and Georgina just have longer relationships with yeah, but uh, Kirk Douglas's character. Agree, but you don't. Also, you don't really see much of whatever relationship they have throughout the film you see that one you see like two scenes where one is in her bed seat and the other one where you don't see what their relationship was like like his fake relationship he was having with her do you know what i mean you don't, I don't know you don't it just it seemed to me like a much more natural conclusion and the writer story although really good and and equally big sort of just felt a little bit more tacked on or just not as punchy for some reason. I don't know. I just didn't feel quite as, in, as connected uh, to the other two. So I don't know. If I know, I know what you mean. Emotionally, story, to... story wise, you do get that kind of, that was his biggest picture he did, but it came with a really big personal break with him, with the actress. And then you get him in his kind of just complete hubris years of like flying this writer over, like what the affair and then him taking over direction. You get him just floating on this entire hubris to let to have the downfall, which I did kind of like. Yeah. 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 Something about something about that felt a little bit off. Which in a film that is otherwise, uh, like the guy said in the in, within the film, paced yeah, so yeah. well uh, and directed so well, that stuck out to me as like a little bit uh, turgid. Uh, I did like the kind of I did like the pacing of it, but as you say, you do know where it's going, and you've been told where it's going yeah. as well, which is the reason right. why I don't massively like flashback films because you know what's happening mm. like the car crash bit was one of the things i was thinking is i had no threat at that point because i didn't i knew that she doesn't die in a car oh, crash like there, yeah. you're sitting there like yeah of course um even though it wasn't dramatic emotionally it's just i always just think flashback framing devices just take a bit of the kind of oomph out of what you're watching well yeah you see the director on a on a gigantic s- sound stage with a gigantic crane and camera and then you meant to feel sorry for him because it takes the you little stabs out of back a little bit makes them a little bit yeah, softer a little bit, yeah. yeah yeah but it either way i just i did love it i love watching it I, I really did enjoy watching it um i love i love the yeah. performances we've all said it you know the blocking the camera work the look of it the music as well is wonderful i think the music's actually something that gets um uh i think it's reused continuously after this um and and Interesting. I, I think it's actually i think is it something like sondheim I think refers to this soundtrack a lot, or the music in this. Um, um, really? I believe I read that and I haven't got it noted down, but if that's wrong, I'll <laughs> okay. drop in a correction. But I've, I believe Sundheim likes oh, this sure. soundtrack. And I just thought it really worked. And um, and it's surprisingly big, but like myopic view at the same point, which I just thought was kind of cool. Like, and like... Uh, The musical numbers weren't good enough, though. That's why I dropped <laughs> yeah, it down it wasn't a musical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really the the song and dance was just subpar. <laughs> Did we mention the little devil picture that was in his office that he took from the? 
I think it came up briefly, but house. I don't think that we mentioned. I don't think that we mentioned that it kept being prominently displayed. I was going to actually ask about it because it's meant. Is it meant to be a cartoon of his dad? Right? Isn't that's what I yeah. that's what I understood? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it, and because every actor in it just kept on staring at it now and again, especially um Georgina kept on just staring at it now and again, and I wonder if it was trying to yeah. say like you know Shields is becoming his father, look the devil's still there or something like that. If that's what it was doing. Yeah, it must have been something like that. Yeah. I want to say that um one last kind of note from Houseman is that uh even though the picture did really well and he loved it and it became a legendary thing for him. Um, he hated the title, so I got a quote from him that says, "Like dreadful title. It's a loathsome, loathsome cheap, vulgar title. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like one of the greatest titles anyone thought of. It's certainly been I- I- imitated enough. Any time anyone's really hard up for a title, they just take two objectives and string them together with an and in between. <laughs> That's his comment on the title of it. Like brave and the bold." I just thought he's great. I just want to like these old these old producers. They just don't. I don't know what cloth they cut so, off that this doesn't exist anymore. This, uh, what? David Raskin did the music. Mm-hmm. He died in 2004, but IMDb has credited as doing something for Captain America, the first adventure. Well, I'm guessing because it's set in the 40s. They, they may have used some like, of his music. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. That's interesting. What the hell? Uh, they used, the, oh, the Newsreel March. Oh, okay. He, he wrote the music for the Newsreel Newsreel March. Yeah, okay. Wow. That's amazing. So that's why he has 80 billion credits. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so, yeah, David Raskin, he wrote the song that was called Love is for the Very Young. Um, actually, Manelli and Houseman rejected it, but they were talked into it at the last point. And actually, after the film's release, it became a hit and actually then became a jazz standard and was widely covered afterwards. Huh. A number of film music experts and composers, including Sondheim, have highly praised that theme. Like, uh, And they, they there's a lot of kind of writing about the hypnotic way it works and that it's a kind of great kind of example of a movie theme i think you know it's interesting i didn't really notice the music at any point maybe i'll go back yeah, and listen to it definitely worth it interesting maybe maybe it was that like well integrated that i didn't even it didn't even clock that i was listening to good I think music that's that i felt about the film i thought everything was massively well integrated i don't think even douglas who's such a you know bold actor he like he felt very integrated into the world of the film he didn't stand out weirdly he didn't like kind of overtake the film or anything which everything was really nicely balanced um yeah it was all of a piece of a piece um of a piece a picture of a piece so um any final thoughts or anything like i think we covered it pretty well we liked the movie i was surprised i was surprised not only that there was no music but it was in black and white which was also really surprising yeah i always forget that the because actually... I, well, I was i was think of manelli as a very yeah. colorful director uh he's just known for making really colorful movies so i was expecting a, a color musical <laughs> and i was really shocked I put this I'll on. tell you what, man. You can come back and we'll do a Manelli color picture, color musical. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen, I've seen Meet Me in St. Louis and uh, American in Paris, and actually didn't like either one really too much. So maybe I don't want to see a Manelli. Too I much don't know. Manelli. Too much Manelli. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I didn't. I didn't love those. I, I had a film professor who was obsessed with Manelli back in in school and he showed me me in st louis and he was like you gotta you're gonna love it and i was like 19 or 20 and i just was not the right age for I such a thing some of those older musicals I, sometimes isn't yeah i wasn't i wasn't into it but i'd be willing to bet it was because i was a dickhead kid <laughs> and didn't know what i was talking about so maybe i should give it another try yeah good choice and thanks for joining us brandon thanks for coming back and 
My pleasure. I uh, very much enjoyed Glad watching that. Anytime. It's always a, always a good time. So uh, what are we watching next week? Yeah, then? talking next week. We're doing The Hitchhiker, Ida Lupino's film. See, I was getting confused with the Rutger Hauer classic. It's, it's not <laughs> it's that not. <laughs> The Hitcher. The is a great film. Didn't they remake that? I'm sure they remade that. They did that. remake it. With scene, scene Bean or something like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Right, uh, thanks very much for listening. And um, yeah, please, if you can... Uh, give us a nice little review or a little write-up on whatever platform you listen to us on, be that uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon Music, Stitcher. Uh, yeah, uh, please reach out to us. We're at Adjust Your Track on Twitter. That's with a wire, not your. And yeah, please don't forget, if the pitch is bad, always adjust your tracking. <laughs>